Hello there. You're listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Huntsman The Winter's War. Eh, did I get it right? The Huntsman Winter's War? Dingus, help me out. What was the movie called? The Huntsman colon Winter's War. Okay. I was right, pretty much. Really? My name is Ty the Huntsman. Oh, it's plural, right? It's not Huntsman. Is it Huntsman? You know what? We'll get to that. It's like a legion. These words, I don't understand all of them. You guys might have to help me. My name is Tom Chick. I am here with Christian... Lewinsky. Christian Lewinsky. That's me. Okay. And with our Huntsman Winter War tagline, Kelly Wand. Uh, whatever after. (laughs) <laughs> okay, I want to keep running with these. A lot of times, like, the best one is, like, the second or third one. Sitting in for Kristen Stewart this time are actors. Oh! She's not that good. I was I trying to think, like, yeah, is there any reason to miss her or... All right, Kelly, one, you guys... Well, yeah, yeah. Well, you're going to have a huge no, disagreement with me on that. And you know, well, we already went through that, so there's no reason to do it again. Oh, did we know that, that Dingus really liked Kristen Stewart in the Snow White movie, Kelly Wand? Someone did. Wow. I, guess, I thought it was you, though. It was so. not me. No way it was me. Because I re- You liked the movie, though. I thought I you liked both liked it, and I was sitting... Is this movie, is this conversation for real right now? No, we both liked it a lot, but I was not on board with Kristen Stewart. Dingus probably loved, Dingus I think has done her, her, uh, motivating the army speech at the end. Dingus does that as a monologue in auditions. (laughs) Uh, tell me what, are there more taglines before we get in depth into the? No. Okay. For, before we proceed, I want to give you guys a quiz. I'm going to read a movie synopsis. And whichever one of you recognizes the movie first, say the name of it, and you will have won. Doesn't this count as proceeding? Yeah, wait. Oh, before we proceed specifically yeah. to movie content, oh, I see. proceed to a contest. Now, Kelly Wand, this is you against Dingus, just so you know. Uh, and here's the deal, Kelly Wand. I think this one's in Dingus's wheelhouse. Well, I'm not good at any of these games. Well, we'll see. Here we go. Just let me know when you can tell from the synopsis what the movie is. <clears throat> A young man with a talent for music has begun a career with much promise. Whiplash. He meets an aspiring singer and finds that talent alone isn't all that he needs. A complicated tale of his repeating his father's self-destructive behavior, losing the aspiring singer to another singer, and his coming to grips with his own connection to other people ensues. Wow, maybe no one will win. I'm very disappointed in both of you. Jeez. Loon Davis. I like Kelly Wand. I like your guess better than any guess Dingus has made. Dingus, you have a guess that would top that one. It's a wrong guess, but Dingus, you have one that might top that. Jazz singer had Cra- crazy stars. Oh, Kelly Wand is way better on the on the right track with this one. All right. So it's it's purple rain. You guys didn't get the purple oh. rain. Oh. So did, I've never seen that movie. Please. I haven't either. I haven't Please. either. You haven't seen that movie like maybe in the last two years. No, I didn't see it. Purple my brain, I never saw. It didn't look good to me. <laughs> I don't believe neither of you have seen Purple Rain. Purple Please. Rain? No, I looked I, the first time I saw Prince. I was kind of like, you guys are my age. You didn't go see like Purple Rain on a date in high school or something. No, I didn't date high school. Uh, I, sat, that's the um, played I don't D&D remember myself. my dad speaking 
derisively about the whole idea that it was like one of Roger Ebert's top right. movies of the year. And uh, my Great dad was making fun of the whole idea of it. He's like, it's actually should be called Yellow P. But I mean, dad, dad didn't know that music anyway. Uh, but I just remember dad being like, eh, well, I don't know, understand why this movie is. Everybody loves this movie. That's a terrible. Wait, why did you say it should be called that? I don't know. Cause he just thought it sounded like a dumb movie. Oh, that, was his, that, that happens in the movie. Like that's a misnomer. That was his version. <laughs> that was his version of a tagline. I think that was Dingus's dad's tagline. Uh, I like his dad's. Great. Uh, I don't think Purple Rain was very good, but it was it, it, like you could definitely see Prince's charisma and, and uh, presence in it. I mean, right? Isn't well, you guys don't know. Well, so, I don't too exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She never really did it for me. I'm more uh, of an Apollonia. Okay. Is Apollonia in it? So this synopsis that I just read has the name Apollonia in it, and I took it out and just replaced it with a, with a pronoun. That is too. I thought it would give it away. Um, right, that's what I do. Yeah. You've discovered the trick of yeah. doing those. Well, you things. should learn it. You should know not from the name. Dingus is always going to remember names like Seaman Beaumont and whatnot. So to make it fair, you have to take out the actual name and just get to the, the, the plot synopsis. Well, yeah, like blank is a RoboCop. Right. You know, you don't say Connor is lost in the White House. His right. dad has to find it. Then Dingus, Dingus hears Connor and he'll go, White House down. You know, like yeah. that. He knows it. Uh-huh. It's true. All right. Well, I'm disappointed neither of you won. So uh, you guys both are sentenced to. Uh, you thought that was more Dingus's zone, and his zone consisted of his dad calling it yellow pee. Yeah. So that's how much he did Dingus. Uh, I guess yeah, Dingus and his family. I, that was such just a, a, a staple of yellow pee childhood. Not the yellow pee, the purple rain. Purple rain's a metaphor, by the way. Gosh. <laughs> So's the dad's one. <laughs> What's Purple Rain a metaphor for? Because I am a little curious. Because uh, that was the one thing that made me kind of want to see it. But not I'm enough. guessing. I don't know. I'm guessing it's a metaphor for uh, your past catching up with you. Is Black Rain with Michael Douglas a prequel? No, it's a Michael Crichton book. See, I actually know that. Are you proud Very of me? Good. Yeah. It's I, I think that's, that's the, the other one, though. Am I the only one on this po- podcast who has read The Swarm? <laughs> read it? Yes, that's pretty good. No, the nano, the nanobot one that Michael Crichton wrote. Oh no, Paris. No, whoa, shoot. Yeah, wasn't it? What was that thing he wrote about nanobots? Kelly Wand, you should know this. Uh, a swarm of nanobots. Disclosure. No, maybe it was called the swarm or parasites. Or anyway. was it one of the later ones? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, uh, I forget the name of it. I know what you're talking about. I get it mixed no, up with Airframe, which is about before, chaos. <laughs> you told there's me also this. there's also the Michael Caine movie about bees, which is called the swarm. That's what I thought. I consider it the Henry Fonda movie about bees, and I thought you'd read this, the novelization of the story. Oh, you oh. might be right. I might have. Devastated that you didn't, because for two <laughs> seconds you were my the coolest person I knew. Uh, I, and I read about the bees. First yeah. of all, the Michael, Michael Crichton had nothing to do with Black Rain. I know that. Oh. You're thinking of Rising Sun. Shut up! <laughs> Why? You know what? I think you're right. Uh, yeah, that's pretty dumb. <laughs> Kelly, you agreed with me. <laughs> you're complicit in this. I, my dad called that movie Yelling Pee, by the way. <laughs> oh, my God. Kind of racist. This just got terrible. Dingus, tell the listeners, uh, let's get off of the Michael Crichton books, because we'll do a timeline podcast <laughs> if they're not careful. Yellow Pee. That's so funny. Dingus, what movie did we see this week? <laughs> I love Dingus's dad so much right now. Sorry. What did we see? Different color movie? This week. Weather related? 
<laughs> this week we saw the Huntsman colon Winter's War. Is it singular or plural? Huntsman or Huntsman? Huntsman. Okay, that's what I thought. There are other Huntsmen in the movie, but this is the Huntsman. Right, because it's the one from the first Snow White movie. It's that particular Huntsman that the movie is concerned about and not the, the sort of gin in general. Right, right because it's <laughs> also the title is also known as the Snow White Chronicles dash The Huntsman Winter's no. War. Where did, no, please. Uh, I don't think that can be true. <laughs> Where did you get your information? <laughs> Money, dingus. You're a good troll, but come on. That one's too crazy. Christian Stewart apologists. The, the other uh, alternate title was Hardcore. Um, it's a 2016 American high fantasy adventure drama pre-sequel movie about what happens before and after the last movie. It was directed by Cedric Nicholas Troyan and written by Evan Spiliotopoulos and Craig Mazing, based on characters by Evan Doherty. It stars Sheridan Smith, Chris Hemsworth, Emily Blunt, Jessica Chastain, and Charlize Theron. The Huntsman Winner's War is rated PG-13 for fantasy action violence and some sensuality. I feel like they must have missed something. Kelly Wan, is there anything else that should have been in there? Mild references to Snow White. <laughs> Can I add one? Yeah. Some side boob. But from who? Thor? Jessica Chastain. Come on, mm. really? You didn't notice in that? I mean, I, oh, I mean, I didn't. Someone told what, me. in the barrel that. scene? No, there's no, they in have the, a love in scene. the magical hot tub. No, no, not, it's the later love scene uh, after they're re- reconciling at a uh-huh. campsite or some uh-huh. such thing. Spoiler alert. They definitely, like, they panned down way lower than I thought they were going to, and I was like, wait, really? Ah, okay. I mean, I wasn't complaining, but there was some side boob. Yeah. Hmm. You guys are going to have to see the movie again now. Um, I have a question real quick. Dingus, when you said it was what happens before and after the movie, didn't we see something recently that that is both a prequel that takes up stuff before the movie and then after the movie? I think we did, and the, uh, that was one of the surprises about this movie for me. So, I don't, what's the I, other one that I'm thinking I, of? Though I can't remember. I can't remember. Superman. Oh, Kelly Wan, no, oh, no. What's the, well, ke- technically Kelly is right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am right. Yes. But no, there's another thing we saw, and one of the cool things about it was, oh, this isn't just a prequel. It's a prequel that can go that picks up after the movie. Right. You guys don't. Okay, if you remember, I don't remember. If you're listening, Spectre. you remember. Tell us in the in the comment section because that's going to drive me crazy. Force Awakens. No, it's not a it's not a big old uh, licensing thing. I don't think. So no, I, you're right there, Tom, and I can't I can't place it either. Oh, it's gonna drive me crazy. All green right, room. don't start talking about Green Room. I'm the only one who's seen it, uh, and I'll I will talk about Green Room if you guys aren't careful. Hmm. All right, that's, that's enough of that then. <laughs> Huntsman Winter's War is at 17 percent positive reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> which means 83 percent negative reviews. Which means Batman vs. Superman's doing cartwheels right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. They've got <laughs> the champagne corks are popping over there. Right. On Metacritic, which is the average rating from various reviews, it's at 35. Hmm. It was beat in the box office by Jungle Book's second weekend, beat soundly, and it only made $20 million, which uh, I think was a, about half of what the original Snow White movie made on its opening weekend, which, by the way, I suspect has to do with it not having uh, Kristen Stewart. 
Like they lose a huge demographic when they lose Kristen Stewart. They yeah. lose Dingus. They lose Dingus. Exactly. <laughs> Dingus, Dingus made he was he was responsible for half of the box office of the first one because of his approval of Kristen Stewart's performance. Right. So that said, Kelly Wand, I believe it is time for, and I'm going to really try this one, a Huntsmopsis Winsopsis Bropsis. Come on. Come on. I put a lot into that. I think you put more into it than I did, actually. (laughs) I put a lot into that. I did hear Kelly Wand before we recorded uh, muttering about, I don't know about the synopsis. Yeah. I'd like to reiterate that. I don't know how you can go wrong with a movie like this. Just tell us what happened in it. (laughs) That's your solution to my quandary? Yeah. Just relate. Let the movie Uh, speak for itself. All right. I kind of did do that, but I don't. That's why I feel like I don't know. Is reality sufficient? Well, we'll find out. It seems like when I deviate from reality, you guys kind of zone out anyway. So I'm just going to just actually do it. We never zone out. We never zone out. Zootopia had too much craziness on it. I think you guys got... I think they just need to be a description. They should just be more IMDb, I think. Well, let's hear what you've come up with this week. Yeah, so this is my theory in action right now. All right. The Huntsmas Winces Wapsus. See, I was very close. Maybe a syllable or two off. Yeah, I know. See... I'm trying to make it fun again. Okay. I feel like there's too much. It's too militant lately. <laughs> make make the synopsis fun again. There's too many cops on the freeways. They're kind of spilling out of the three by three, right? Like we need to really uh, trim back on the police presence. Yeah, it's getting to be a police state here. Right? right. It's meant to be an anarchic fun ride, right. like Magic Mountain. Not the White House. Uh, the Huntsmas Wincis Wapsis. I really thought his name was Huntsman, by the way. So it's actually really Huntsman. Eric Huntsman. (laughs) Yeah. That could work. Because he's the only one in the first movie, right? There's not a tribe of Huntsmen. He never (laughs) Don't get me started, Kelly Wand. Don't get... Because I will... I got something to say. Paging Eric Huntsman. Paging Eric Huntsman. There's a real deer problem. I better recruit an entire children's army. Did you hear what Dingus just said? He said a dirty thing. Dingus, do that again. No, just imagining... Asking somebody at the airport to pay Jarek Huntsman. Oh, uh, now I get it. Oh, Dingus looks... Oh. Sounded like a real name to me. Dingus, you save that stuff for Hardcore Henry. And Deadpool. See, Dingus is a secret sickie. That's the fun thing. Dingus no is, he, is, he is R-rated when it comes down to it. He's a very R-rated fella. Mm-hmm. Remember when he said... Um, <laughs> All right, never mind. Well, I liked where that was going. We can, we can revisit that afterwards. All right, so give us the synopsis in all of the... All, of all right, the remind me to tell you what Dingus said that was funny one time. All right, I'm writing a note here. All right, go. Huntsmas Wincis Wapsis. The earth turns into a gong that reminds us we saw the first movie. Charlize Theron and an older bearded man were told as the king of this one village misplay chess. In movies, no one ever notices their move away from being checkmated. She also plays footsie with him, which kills him. Charlize has a sister named Emily Blunt, who kind of just hangs out. They also misplay chess. A funeral is held for the king at which no one speaks. It's just like Kristen Stewart coronation. 
although Emily and a random peasant in the audience find the occasion stimulating enough to flirt over his corpse. At their next chess game, Charlize points at her sister and goes, Ha ha, you're knocked up. Oh, you didn't know? Seriously? You're seven months in. By the way, it'll be killed by a smoke monster like Renly and that black dude on Lost. Emily's all, can't you just say checkmate like normal people? (laughs) Emily's baby disappears witch style, so she turns a guy into icicles by screaming no. (laughs) (laughs) See, Kelly Wan just described it. Yeah, yeah. You're right. That's true. Yeah. I think that's the answer. That's good. That's less work. Thank God. Since her sister screwed her over, she makes clone armies to upset villagers. Then she takes the villagers' kids and makes them learn how to beat up the clones. It's a living. One black kid mouths off a little by saying he likes his mom, so she has to put ice on his face. (laughs) Tough love. Two other kids with medallions are replaced by Thor and Jessica Chastain with similar medallions. For seven scenes, nothing happens. One day. <laughs> One day, after Thor gives a kid in a jail wagon some acting lessons he learned from Ron Howard in In the Heart of the Sea. <laughs> mean face. Jessica Chastain seduces Thor by shooting arrows at him and holding daggers to his throat till they take a bath together in a barrel. <laughs> An owl watches dubious. <laughs> I think I saw the same movie you guys did. Emily Blunt puts on a dove mask from Eyes Wide Shut so she can see what the barrel sees. Since sex is banned under Emily Blunt's regime, even though it would presumably lead to more kids and a bigger army, she gets upset at Thor and Chastain for enjoying themselves, so she cock-blocks them with ice. Then she has Thor's black friend throw him into a stream to drown. But since the black friend still has a sweet spot for Thor based on scenes before this that weren't in the movie, he makes sure it's a shallow stream or something. I'll look over at the empty theater surrounding me and go... Good thing no one else in her domain's ever in love, or this would come up periodically. (laughs) I sit down again eventually. For seven more scenes, nothing happens, including the entirety of the Kristen Stewart movie. One day, Thor goes to romance a pile of rocks with a couple of daisies. Suddenly... <laughs> he really was good with that pile, by the way. I really yeah. noticed that. It was like nice work. He really loves her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was really connecting with those rocks and that flower. Yeah. And he doesn't have a body either, so he just went somewhere random <laughs> with the rocks there. That's right. Everyone went, yeah, it's probably Thor's <laughs> And then the owl stared at the rocks. Ooh, that fucker. One day. Oh. Suddenly, some idiots with 80s hair ride up. They tell him to find a mirror that a tribe of gorillas stole. He throws an axe. (laughs) Ah, yellow pee. He throws an axe and breaks some soap sitting on a branch. Then consents. To cheer him up, 
They tell him Kristen Stewart's now sick from losing the mirror and fucking the director. Oh. Oh. Boo. <laughs> He's the one that liked Kristen Stewart, Just, Kelly Wand. Yeah. I'm the asshole. <laughs> then the 80s guys all, she is the love of your life. Don't you want to go visit her bedside at all or anything before you set out? Thor's all, nah. I didn't check in on Portman during Avengers either. It's just my way of saying hello. <sighs> Accompanied by the only two dwarves he can stand, Mudpack's <laughs> stinky. <laughs> Thor sets off on his quest. For seven dwarves, nothing happens. Then Thor strokes a wagon track in the dirt with his fingertips tastes it and goes, still warm. They find some bodies with arrows in them. Thor pulls a bloody arrow out of a guy's butt, strokes the tip with his fingertips, tastes it and goes, yeah, I can't tell how warm this is. Let's go back to the wagon track and start over. They go to a bar and joke about dwarf sex till some dudes show up and also joke about it. Nevertheless, everyone gets offended by Thor's slurs (laughs) and they throw him in the mud. Just as someone dumb's about to kill him, Chastain saves him by punching him in the face, Thor. (laughs) Thor wakes up in a gazebo hostel. Chanting. Chastain tells him she just spent seven years in prison but got released for no reason. Then she punches him again for watching him lose interest in her through the ice. The apparently apathy spell. He's all, that's funny. I thought you was stabbed just very bored. Hard to tell since it's PG-13. She punches him again. He's all, uh. She kicks him in the nuts. He's all, wait, so they have sex. (laughs) (laughs) I've been on that date, by the way, except for the last part. The next day, Thor and Chastain walk around while the two pet dwarves follow at a discreet distance, (laughs) farting and running. Eventually, they stop and stand still for a bit to all brag about their skills. Nearby, a leaf made out of nets captures nothing. The dwarves are all, only we spotted that, by the way, even though we're just miners and you're huntsmen. Thor's all, really? I thought you were adults. Suddenly, the whole forest turns into a net and captures them. Two hideous female children show up. (laughs) One of them's Linda Hunt. I think the other one might be Heigl walking around on her knees with shoes tied to them. Acting styles. The girls and the dwarves all start bickering annoyingly, but Linda Hunt wins the argument by calling the old one a wobbly shine box. It's a meat short. The characters take a boat ride. Thor pretends a monster's rocking the boat for a bit and gets caught. <laughs> so he has to stop doing it. She catches him doing it. When they make landfall, they find some mold on a rock. Thor licks the rock, eats some bugs near it, and shakes his head. He's all, I think it's a boulder. They cross a rope bridge. They find the mirror near it doing nothing. Mr. T shows up and harasses them, but they trick him by taking the mirror and leaving. (laughs) 
some prehensile CG chases them, but gets blown up by blue fire. A couple of the dwarves have sex while a snake made out of flowers zones out. <laughs> it is like Kristen Stewart's in it, I guess. I'm just saying. What I just said. Thor also talks Chastain into forest sex after a couple of the usual slaps. Suddenly, Emily Blunt shows up on a polar bear. <laughs> I am here from the Golden Compass. She takes the mirror and has Chastain shoot an arrow into Thor's chest medallion. A young Asian guy watching from a nearby cage is all, maybe you need a bigger hole. Remember? From Crouching Tiger guy, because the medallion. Ah, okay. See, I saw it in Chinese, so I didn't. Uh, right off the bat, recognize that. But very good. That did sound familiar. <laughs> did you? I saw it in the original Chinese. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He clicked the you. wrong button on. I didn't click any wrong button. It's my Netflix settings. Sounds right, though. <laughs> I'm just gonna tough this one out. <laughs> Back in her throne room, Emily Blunt drags the mirror inside, shuts the door with her foot, dry washes her hands eagerly, and goes, "Okay, bitches, now it's my time to shine." She blows on her fingers and goes, let's do this. Mirror, mirror on the floor. Whom do my subjects consider total? Wait, hold on. Maybe I should hang it on the wall. (laughs) That would have been embarrassing. Suddenly, the mirror shits a bunch of gold CG. Charlize walks on screen and announces she's back for the rest of the movie. To celebrate, Thor climbs a cliff outside. Then he slides down some shingles and laughs at how dumb the movie's gotten. (laughs) You're right, just describe what happens. He walks into a nearby window, finds a crossbow, raises it to his shoulder, then heroically shoots it at Emily Blunt's bored eyeball. Unfortunately, his bolt gets caught by Charlize, his arch-nemesis from the first movie, who he forgets to notice is standing right in his field of vision the whole time. Suddenly, everybody attacks everybody while Thor's black friend helps. Charlize belatedly realizes it's a 69 on one and dies again. They kill the mirror again. Thor hands it back to the gorillas in the throne room and goes, Try to be more careful this time. The lead gorillas all, Uh, we were keeping it safe. You're the one who came and snake <laughs> the evil. Everybody laughs while soundtrack plays to drown him out. <laughs> Uh, Chastain and Thor make out to celebrate all the dead monarchs in imminent wars of succession the black friends all maybe my character will have a love interest someday everybody laughs at him including the white dwarves someone hands Thor a note he opens it and reads dear Thor, Kristen Stewart's cured unfortunately she just died from something else sawing the screenwriter the end Kelly, when that wasn't so much a synopsis, that was like a shot list. Just a yeah. list of the different shots in the movie. What's the difference? There was nothing like there that song. deviated from what happened. I mean, yeah. You're like the yeah. script girl for this movie. Well, I try to give back. All right, Ding, so what's your problem with this not having Kristen Stewart? 
<laughs> I have no problem with Kristen Stewart not being in this particular movie. I just liked her in the first one. I thought she was perfect as Snow White, and nobody else did. Oh my god! Did, did he really say that, Gilly Wand? Yeah, yeah. I thought she worked. I thought she worked really well. I thought her weird, stricken melancholy was perfect, given how long she'd been in prison, based yeah. on the lore of that movie. Um, That's Snow White shattered from prison. That's defining characteristic. To be fair, Gary Wan, he is saying from the lore of that movie. I mean, I even disagree with him there, but I get what you're saying, Ding, is that that interpretation worked for you. Yeah, Yeah, it totally worked for me, given what also the the uh the horrible I mean the way that first movie works and the and the spell that's been cast upon um Ravenna uh to make her like have to devour the souls of young girls basically and then the prophecy that someone who is pure and fairer which doesn't necessarily mean super pretty hot um fairer than she is uh is the one who's going to take her down or the one that's going to make give her eternal life um, I, I mean, I really like the way that plays out, and I like that they don't get somebody super hot to play uh, Snow White in the first movie. But they get so somebody... Snow White shouldn't be super hot? If there's one place in any casting, in any story, that you should get a super hot actress, Snow White! Dingus! The animated well, we've already had this discussion, and we can go back to the other – I mean, I already defended myself just as very well during that discussion. I, I just disagree <laughs> with you. I think that that she's really – she's pretty well, – I- pure she's 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 absolutely the opposite of what Charlize Theron's character is doing of what Ravenna is doing well by the way I just want to make clear I have no I'm not disagreeing I have no problem with how hot Kristen Stewart is or isn't that's not my problem at all my problem was that I I thought she was a terrible actress but but I do think that uh yeah again I get that you're you're in favor of that interpretation there um but my problem just to summarize I didn't think I don't think she's a good actress uh that's what bothered me more than how she did or didn't look. I just so I, I, just uh, I don't think she's hot or a good actress. Um, but she's hotter than she is talented. I definitely, yeah, I'll go with you there. Well, sure, but but that's not saying much. <laughs> She'd probably be fun to hang out with, though. Well, all right. So so Ding is yeah. her missing from this? Could she? Well, I. Okay, well, actually, let's do it this the way. The story isn't about her character, so that doesn't matter that she's no, in it. I know. Let's, let's do it this way. It's weird she's in it, though. Kelly Wand, Dingus uh-huh. and I liked the first one a lot. As someone right. who didn't like the first one as much as us, how did you feel about this one? Because I think Dingus and I, I don't think necessarily, I mean, we knew it was a different director, but Dingus and I have a very different yardstick against which we're measuring this. Because of how um, much... I think I liked it more than the first one because Kristen Stewart wasn't in it, and Chastain is, and there and Emily Blunt is, and so there's no one annoying me in it. Um, like Thor's, I feel I don't, I feel like I don't like Hemsworth that much. He's just not. He's just kind of bland. I think he's overrated. I liked him the first time as Thor. Okay, I guess, and since then he's kind of. We've drifted apart, basically. He's no Kellen Lutz. No, he's not. He's just kind of there. Um, so I, I would agree with you that he's just kind of there, and the only thing is he's uh, he's probably prettier than Jai Courtney or Sam Worthington. Yeah. But otherwise, the exact same quality for me, I guess. Yeah, but this character's not that... He's not... Int- like, I don't know why he felt the need to... 
But it's it, here's the thing. This movie's not bad. It's just kind of like a dial tone. Like it's kind of the same the whole way through. And there's never any moment where I'm sort of excited or engaged. Like, oh, that happened. Okay. It's just kind of a bunch of random shit. Um, so Dingus, uh, then how did so as someone who both liked well, so so how did you feel about this? Considering that you and I are both fans of the original, I think we both <laughs> loved the cast there. We loved some of the visuals that uh, not Rupert Evans. What's his name? I don't uh, know. Sounds right. Uh, is it Rupert? Evans? I don't know. Well, the first guy. Well, I liked his uh, direction, and I can't. Yeah, remember yeah. His name Rupert Evans. Okay. So he didn't direct this one. Someone else did. Uh, what did you think? Uh, are, are you going to go to bat for this movie? Like, I'll just say right off the bat, I hated it. There's nothing in this that I really liked. Maybe one or two things. I'm super down on this movie. Uh, thing is, where do you fall in, in regards to me and Kelly Wand on this movie? I I liked it a lot. It pales absolutely pales in comparison to the first one, which I actually liked quite a bit. So um, we have a liked it a lot, a dial tone. It was just kind of there, and I hated it. I like I like the <laughs> spread that we've got going here. This is a rare opportunity. Yes. Uh. I guess we're done then. <laughs> <laughs> so, thing is, just to give us a sense for how much you did like it, what would be? Can we get your over under real quick, just to get a sense? Did you bracket this, by the way, with your over under? It was kind of tough to bracket. Um, the uh, under I would give it would be uh, Lady Hawk, which I saw recently for my Richard Donna. Richard Donna, Richard Donner uh, Appreciation Week um, that I had to watch before we got to do our Goonies podcast. Um, uh, Lady Hawk doesn't really hold up. The, the actors are pretty good in it, and the music is horrible. Um, and for the over, I would probably have to say um, uh, Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunter. I'd probably put over it. Ooh, ah. Wow. Because I don't That's... disagree with that, but... Uh... Yeah. But uh, again, I think sort of that's not saying much. Okay. Well, I, li- I liked Hansel and Gretel. I mean, I liked it more than you guys liked it. I, t- I guess I'm, I don't know. I guess I, I think I tend to be more forgiving or uh, more taken in by these fairy tale movies than you guys do, because um, I quite liked the way. As much as I didn't like um, the sheer amount, the overwhelming amount of of uh, Liam Neeson narration in the in the beginning of this movie, and that was Liam Neeson. They, yeah. Um, no way. Are you serious? Because the whole time I was like, I bet that's someone famous and I'm just not recognizing his voice. That was Liam Neeson. Yeah, and it really feels like it's cribbing from some of the Galadriel stuff in Lord of the Rings. Um, as much as I didn't care for the overwhelming amount of that, I like the way that it sets up. Um, but I really uh, I really missed some of the elements um, of wonder and magic, and especially the way the dwarves worked in the first movie, which I really quite quite loved. Um, and I don't I don't necessarily agree with you guys about the whole Chris Hemsworth being like an a dial tone or a blank slate or whatever you guys are saying. I like that guy a lot. Uh, Rupert Sanders, by the way, is the director of the first one. Rupert Evans is an actor. I said so, but I'm confusing. Uh, uh, defend Chris Hemsworth then. What what uh, what made him? So I presume that was part of what made this work for you, Dennis, right? Um, yeah, but not necessarily. I think the women is what makes it work for me, especially, especially Sheridan Smith. When she shows up, yeah. I mean, the movie kind of it, – it does that moment where a movie sparks to life um, because I, I really didn't – I mean, as much as I like uh, Rob Brydon um, – I had no idea that was him, by the way, until – Oh, really? I, I mean, I just know him from that thing with um, – 
uh, Steve Coogan. Uh, yeah. What is that? Where they travel around and eat. What the heck is that thing called? The Trip. The Trip, yes. I know him from that. I don't know him from anything else. So I, And plus, I never reckon – you know, when they've got the dwarf facial hair and stuff, that's it, intentionally there to confuse me. So it wasn't until the credits I recognized that that was <laughs> – <laughs> uh, And the other guy who's from um, – what's his name? Well, Nick Scott Frost is, is the – yeah, Oh, Nick Frost. Sean, not Sean Penn. Uh, Simon Pegg's uh, – cohort yeah you know as much as i i mean they, they were fine uh, they feel like like okay we we could only afford two dwarves in this movie um and then and they make the whole that whole you know uh oh dwarf women have you ever seen a dwarf woman which is clearly a takeoff from the lord of the rings but it's just slagging on female dwarves but then the female dwarves show up and they're like oh my gosh they're so much more interesting than you idiots and that i really love that i love I, and especially um sheridan smith i thought she was amazing i thought she was funny she was full of life uh, so those types of things I love, but to answer your question specifically about Chris Hemsworth, I just, I, I think the guy has far more charisma than you guys are giving him credit for and far more range than you're giving him credit for. I, I, I really like the things that he's trying to do with, with Jessica Chastain. I think she's out of his league, um, acting wise, uh, not that she's given enough to do in my opinion. Um, but I really do love the amount of things that he can do in, in both this and in, uh, in the first movie where he's like, if, if you guys remember, like battling the fact that he's lost his wife. Yeah, no, I, I was fine with him in the first movie because they weren't trying to make him some elite soldier, uh, like trained from childhood to be a warrior. The idea is he's just like a common working man. Yeah, uh, it ruined his character. It really did because that's sort of the point character. of the, the fable yeah. of the Huntsman is it's a common working, it's a laborer. Yeah, uh, it's wrapped up in these events, but no, he's he's like for, former Delta Force basically. Oh, yeah. they've made it into Agent, Agent Forty Seven kind of. Yeah, thing. I don't like that. That that bummed me out. And and it was and it was there to entertain me and make me go, oh whoa, he's not who I thought. Whoa, there's so much more to the Huntsman, and it's just that's what. Ah, you fucking idiots. But he's Fail. he's super special for a reason in the first one, and this one kind of gives you. He's not just like a common man in the first one. He he has a special ability to go into this forest that nobody else can go into. Well, right, because he's he's a laborer because he's a, it's a lumberjack. Right. I mean, it's the point he's of the a pure fables. Heart. Right, right. It's the guy that just goes out in the woods and works. Um, it's not that he's like super trained as a as a is a wizard or a thief yeah. class or something. Yeah, everything's got to be the same now. I'm fucking sick of this shit. This is why I'm not looking forward to anything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, but yeah, something else you said, I guess, that made me not like the movie is Jessica Chastain doesn't – she's so – she's playing a really interesting character and she doesn't get to do shit. We don't get to follow her story at all. Or I, no, and she's yeah. always getting left behind and rescued. Like, like her crowning act is to pretend to kill him, and he has to know to pretend to be dead at that moment. I did love but, the the makeup bruise behind the medallion on his chest, though. That was cool. That almost yeah. went into that was the limits of their PG thirteen rating right there. <laughs> sensuous. Yeah. Yeah. It, it did piss me off that she didn't that, that for the whole climax of the movie she has to just be unconscious. Yeah. At the mirror. I mean, she's, she should have. Uh, she should. It should have been the three women. I, I also. Oh, go ahead, Kelly. One. No, that's it. Well, I didn't like her in this. Like, I thought she was terrible. I thought she's horribly miscast. Um, and maybe it's just because oh, really? I didn't. They weren't doing much with with her character. But as I was watching, I got the sense that. Um, they got, set wrong, up. they got the wrong person to play the ice queen. <laughs> like, she's just so, uh, like, she's vivacious. so awesome in Interstellar and Zero Dark Thirty, where she's playing a very different kind of character. 
uh, like a character with a kind of a harsher background that sort of goes with those angular jawline that she's got and that cleft chin. I mean, she's got an amazing face. Uh, but I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. But as a warrior. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, an intellectual warrior. I think she's great at that kind of thing. But I, I didn't, and maybe it's just because I didn't think she was really clicking with Chris Hemsworth at all. Yeah. I didn't get the sense they were in love. And I also, they didn't give Emily Blunt anything to do. They didn't give Charlize yeah. Theron anything to do. I'm with yeah. Dingus and that I love the female dwarves coming out. That bit is awesome. But otherwise, you know, this also bothers me. And again, it's kind of a nitpicky thing, but it's part of what I loved about the first movie. In the first movie, Charlize Theron's motivation is that she's been betrayed by men, and she's just this avenging angel who wants to lash out against men in yeah. power. And that's a cool... Like that's a cool backstory for her, um, and it almost—I mean—the movie almost like wants us to sympathize with her. She's a villain, sure, but she's not just a cackling, mustache-twirling evil person. You know, we see her as a child with her brother. Um, so this movie did. Wait a minute. What'd you say? What did I say about uh, Charlize Theron in the first movie? Oh yeah, okay. We see see her as a child with her brother. Yeah, yeah, because they they give her a lot of her backstory in the first movie. We find out she's not evil; that she's just been wronged by men all of her life, and okay. she resents them. Uh, and so she goes around killing kings and taking over their kingdoms um, to get back at men. It's uh, Black Widow. Right, right, exactly, right. She yeah marries them and kills them, takes their kingdoms. Um, so in this movie, that cool backstory, and they tried, I think, to do a little bit of it with Emily Blunt having been deprived of a child. And then gathering children in an army and then later realizing, oh, wait, I love these children. But I thought this movie veered way too far into the magic doodad territory with the mirror. Um, it was all about let's get the mirror. Let's take the mirror. Like it's a delivering the, the ring. MacGuffin. Yeah, yeah, MacGuffin, exactly. And fantasy, I think fantasy is at its weakest when it relies on a, an artifact or a MacGuffin. Like it's such a lazy thing to fall back on. In a fantasy story. And Snow White, by the way, what makes it work for me in the Rupert Saunders movie, you know, this is from a fable, from a fairy tale, where MacGuffins aren't a part of the story. Fairy tales are about human nature. Um, so I was disappointed to see a MacGuffin introduced here. Because uh, the first well, one, also, I don't recall, was there, there wasn't a MacGuffin in the first one, was there? Well, the mirror was a MacGuffin in that one, too. But, but you know, remember, no. here's what I love, by the way, real quick. In the first movie, and I love, I think this is a really smart thing to do, Charlize Theron is talking to that gold-robed mirror dude, and her brother walks in, and you see from the brother's point of view, there's no one there. Right. Like, there's this implication, I mean, she's definitely magic, but there's this implication that it's just like a psychological thing, like she's crazy. And that's kind of how I was hoping the climax of the movie was going to play out, was that you know this whole weird thing where she's supposedly called her back to life, and it was going to turn out that she's not really there. Sure. Oh, that would have been great. Yeah. I mean, that's, well, that, what, yeah. that's what I was thinking was going to happen until she catches the the bolt, right. crossbow bolt, which was very disappointing to me. But I see totally what you're saying, and I don't think there is a MacGuffin in the first movie like that. Yeah, because it didn't need it. It was a different kind of story. Yeah. But this is totally cribbing from taking the ring. I mean, it's it's yeah. we need to get this thing, and we need to put it in the sanctuary, so otherwise somebody will get ultimate power. I mean, it's a very very ring. Right. And the ultimate power, by the way, I, if you had showed me on a script, the, the stage directions, that Charlize Theron is sprouting like inky black tentacles that kill people, Ugh. I would think, yeah, that would be awesome. Shoot that. 
they somehow made that boring like that. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, they could they could make that look so cool and like hot and weird and disturbing and because because remember how awesome that dark forest was in the first movie. Mm-hmm. Um, like there was really cool, creepy, slightly disturbing stuff there, uh, and just nothing lived up to to the sort of world building and imaginative photography in the first movie. Some of the CG in this, by the way, total like cut rate. It felt like. Like some of the scenery stuff, um, hmm. I didn't think it was that good looking a movie. I never noticed those things. I'm really wrapped up in the plot. Well, I think if I'm not mistaken, Rupert Saunders was a. Uh, you're being facetious, by the way. You surely read. Like I think Rupert Saunders was a commercial director, if I'm not mistaken. So a lot of what you saw in the first movie were his visual stylings and him sort of playing with visuals. I didn't mm-hmm. get a sense. I don't know who this guy was, but I didn't get a sense that he had much of an eye for that at all. You remember what Kelly wanted? The, you, you guys, uh, like the one thing I conceded looked like something I hadn't seen in a movie before or had like a certain vision to it was the that enchanted forest with the fairies. Yeah. And in this, it was more, it was kind of the Jedi version of it. <laughs> well, it was like the prequel Jedi version of it. Yeah. 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 There's just no mystery to anything. Kelly Wand, I know you'll agree with me on this. It drives me bonkers when in a fantasy movie you have someone disbelieve in the trappings of fantasy. When the dwarves don't believe in goblins, like when dwarves think that goblins are a wives' tale, they're dwarves. They grew up in a fairy forest. You know, they're they're people casting spells all the time in this world. They don't believe in goblins. What? Well, there's a good joke there. Yeah, it is a good joke. It's like everybody has somebody below them that they don't believe exists. But kobolds, oh, fuck. Maybe if they felt like they were above going to see them. But no, to actually not believe they exist? No, I'm not accepting either of your... Well, are they saying that because they're like the Prometheus scientists and they're supposed to be us, in quotes? (laughs) Goblins aren't going to be in this movie. I'm with the dwarves on this. I will say, yeah, that's on par with something from Prometheus. I'll agree with you there. Like Alien. (laughs) Taps into our fear of goblins. Uh, By the way, Tom, Chris Markinson really agrees with you about the really weak CG. So it was just some of the early like uh, like um, what do you call it? establishing shots where they show you know a castle or, or some kind of yeah thing. and I was like ew gross that looks like something from like a, a, a TV show. and the fights it the really fight did look weird that, that those far shots of the castle between the rocks it looked like I don't know like some sort of weird calendar drawing it didn't look yeah. very good at all and you know the other thing Chris says is. He, he wants to know why the hell the director kept having these little ice crystals floating around, um, even outside the ice palace, and there were these light bugs flying around and fluff and stuff. I have a theory. And, Do you guys know? Uh, it, it looks to me, it looks like something that was like at some point we were going to make this a 3D movie. Yep, absolutely. Right. Uh, I was going to say nuclear winter because <laughs> Chris just found it annoying and distracting. That's how you put it. Hmm. So uh, Charlize Theron ran away with the first movie, I think. How did you guys feel she was here? She's not in it much. Um, it's it's not a bad idea to have her and Emily Blunt and make it like a bitch war. Um, but that's not really what the movie's about. There's a lot of Thor. And a lot of just... It's not really what it's about. And, and you know, to, to be... I'm sorry to harp on this, but Chris totally agrees with you, Kelly. He, he just really wished the movie would have been Emily yeah. Blunt versus Charlize. That's the money. So why didn't – and it seems like a weird – like so it's a writing failure because they have the cast. Oh, and I agree. Yeah, because I, I even think 
like that early scene where they're playing chess, uh, like right there, I was getting an uh oh kind of vibe because I just thought that scene was just so turgid, labored. Yeah, and these are great actresses, and there's yeah. no sign of that in this scene. Uh, and I, and those, it's that was a red it was weird to have another chess scene. I, you know what? Can we can we back off of the chess metaphors? Like, stop. We take King Tom. Yeah, no, no. When your movie is that brain dead, you're not allowed to use chess for imagery. Very, very few movies can live up to to a chess metaphor. Maybe, maybe just pause. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. That's the only movie. <laughs> that is allowed to use chess. I don't even think it bothers me. It's probably too smart for it. But I can't think of any other movie that is intricate and smart enough to play with a chess metaphor. So well, I think the idea is that it's the writer going, look, I'm – there's this Machiavellian plot can only be right. handled by a grandmaster, and I have – my LO rating is fucking – you can believe it. So, But I thought they but, were going to – I thought that was going to pay off later in the movie. Yeah, there's no chess later. But I, but I thought with that whole, the, the way that the gallery was set up, the gallery of frozen children and take the door. Oh, the nice, Dingus, yeah. Do you remember that scene where they're the pulling back pieces. from the gallery? And, and it's the, like and, a reveal that, oh, there's all these frozen people. Yeah, like if those had been pieces or something. I like that's that. That's what I thought that's that was. Really I thought that was going to be an ultimate chess match with these frozen uh children or whatever that she had taken yeah. and, the, and the two frozen dwarves that were put in there as well. And that would feel great, like the whole like Queen's Croquet in Alice in Wonderland or something, exactly. like that whole kind of deal. Yeah, that's where I thought we were going. And yeah. why were they carrying off the dwarves? By the way, yeah, you're right. Like, what did she keep them as trophies or what? Did she just randomly freeze people and put them in the throne room? Or I don't know. I don't know. That's what I thought was going to happen. Well, the other two dwarves uh, disappear for the climax anyway. I mean, they're like, okay, this is part of the plan. You guys run off. Hello. Where did you guys yeah, go? Where did they go? They ran around. They hit a body. They hit it sloppily, and that was it. Then they showed up. Just like duties. I think they were trying to turn off a deflector shield or something, Dingus. I'm pretty <laughs> sure they had a task they were off doing. But I just thought for sure that there was going to be a, a major like ice chess scene that was going to happen. <laughs> uh, Kelly Wan, how did you feel about the depiction of a goblin? Um, what, the nose goblin? I don't know what that is. It's a booger. Why? Uh, JK, JK. Have you all overs and unders yet? Kelly Wan, you know what a goblin looks like from D&D, and it doesn't look like a, a dog, bear, ape, wolf with bulk. I, goblins and orcs, I don't understand the relationship. Oh, my God. Kelly Wan, you do t- – I don't oh. believe that for a second. Why would I? Was really? it on the podcast, Dingus, or in real life when you were explaining Urukai to me? I believe that was on the podcast. Okay. I know those. I don't think you would put up with that. They're born out of the shit. Uh, my over – oh, that's right, because we had the debate about uh, half-elves, and uh, someone claimed that Elrond's a half-elf, but no one believes that. Elrond is full elf or, or nothing. That so man, if half-elves are common, then why is Liv Tyler's struggle a struggle if it's common? Like her dad's a half-elf. So see, Dingus? That's her name. That's their name. Elrond Half-Elven is his name. Oh, so it's just a name. It's not his. It's like right. Like I'm not an actual physical chick. It's just my right. name. Exactly. So exactly. it's not. And a lot of people think that. Okay. Yes. But I am a wand. But you can choose. <laughs> okay. Uh, my over, and you guys have heard me babble on about this. You know, I'm going to do my under first. My under is Season of the Witch because I'm just thinking of a, a a movie that's supposed to have like a really cool female villain that does nothing with it and puts a, a dumb fantasy movie around it. So my under Season of the Witch. We famously lost a podcast. There's a season of the witch podcast that 
it didn't get recorded or it got overwritten or deleted or something. It's vanished. It was a one-time only performance. We saw that movie. I think we all disliked it. This, and I'm not bracketing too closely, but I put Season of the Witch is below this. Over this movie, way, 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 way over it, but it's the same thing in that it's about a villainess, like a, a, a strong female villain, and it's a cool fantasy setting, but it's kind of dumb. My over is Seventh Son, which I wish you guys would see already. <laughs> God, I, I started it. it. I could get into it. What do you? Oh, how could you not get into it? I don't like the Apprentice character. Is that Jon Snow? Kelly Wan, you you watched it then for about five. I don't. I have nothing it to say. Seemed to you. like it was a little Bridges light. You watch. You watch the. You didn't even get ten minutes in that Kelly Wan. Right, You're not allowed going. to say a single thing about Seventh Son until All you right. see at least ten more minutes of it. It seemed a little. Um... It seems a little Disney. Kelly Wan, you I don't make me spoil things. All right. It seemed like it should be R rated and Jeff Bridges should be swearing. It doesn't even need to be. That's the thing. Uh, Kelly Wan, what is your over and under for uh, for this uh, Huntsman movie? My under Snow White and the Huntsman. Hmm. Wait, and my yeah, your under because he didn't like it. We liked it. He didn't. Yeah, he felt he was getting his Jessica Chastain here, uh, like he was getting some Emily Blunt, some Charlize Theron. Yeah, all wasted. That seems like a bad choice. Okay, my unders uh, garbage pill kids. No, no, you don't have to change anything. Just keep it. I, I get to ask. See, thing is, you've bullied him into changing his mind. The garbage pill kids. My unders Christine. Uh, Just because evil. Uh, how many unders uh, do you have? No. <laughs> They're all unders. Uh, it's my favorite movie. Wait, explain <laughs> why circumferences. Why is Christine your under? What's the connection? Oh, just because the villainous um, in the end is killed by a dumb way. Christine, the car movie. Yeah. Does Christine? Get, I don't. I don't know the car movie. Does it get killed? Does the car get killed by like a? Yeah, bulldozer. Oh, oh okay. that's cool. What actually, you, what were you gonna guess? Uh, just one of those car crushing things at a junkyard. Oh, they use that too. Oh, okay. That's just to make sure, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so then what was your over, Kelly Wan? What's a movie that is better than Huntsman Winter's War? Wait, does he have three unders? Mm. We could we could sort of narrow it down. Kelly Wan, what if you – which is the most under? Wait, my unders uh, ever after the Drew Barry War. I'm sorry. Yeah, I apologize. It's in the mess. <laughs> what, Kelly Wan, is your over? What's a movie that is like better than this? swiping left on Tinder or something. My overs crawl. <laughs> because of I, Liam Neeson? I think yeah. that's probably Is Liam Neeson in crawl? No, Dingus. Yeah. Come on. Don't I, talk crazy. It's Ray Fiennes. Uh, I will say one good thing about... Um, He's talking about Excalibur. Crazy Dingus. He always gets those two mixed up on the podcast. Famous for it. Uh, one good thing I liked about this movie is there's a shot of – I think it's just when she's a little girl uh, – the chick pulling the bow back during practice, and there's a yeah. uh, close shot of her calloused fingers. And I'm, you know, as the guy who notices Natalie Portman's manicure and Jane got a gun and Kate Dickey's dirtied fingernails and the witch, I'm like, yeah, cool. Calloused fingers on the, ch- the mandatory chick who's, who's super good with a bow. Uh, I did like that bit. So I'll give We're not back. talking about the game, Tom. We're talking about practice. And you know what? It, when I when I watched um, 
Snow White and the Huntsman this week. I, I thought of that specifically, Tom. I thought of that for you. Because the moment where the, uh, the white stag bows before her mm-hmm. in that fairy forest, which mm-hmm. um, a lot of people, I mean, uh, this is another thing that Chris said because he didn't understand why, where, what's the deal with all these things floating around in this forest. Well, that's not set up that that's the fairy forest with that, that mossy snake that Kelly right. was joking about earlier. I mean, there's a reason why all of those things are there. The turtle, well, even. The turtle is a direct comeback. Like, reca- yeah. like, he's straight out of the first movie. I was like, hey, that's the turtle. Yeah. Exactly right. But when she reaches up to stroke the fur of the white stag, her fingernails are just so dirty. They, they just have grime all around the quick of them. I mean, they look terrible. And, and when she was doing that, <laughs> it kind of took me out of the movie for a minute to think, hey, Tom would like her fingernails. Well, they, I remember too, they'd like, they daubed dirt on her face and everything. Like, I, you know, they went with that whole, like, gritty aesthetic that you're talking about. Like, that right. in the fairy forest. That was a nice contrast. I just right. wished it had been someone other than Kristen Stewart under the dirt. Yeah. And, and I think actually, I, I accidentally, um, suggested when we, saw, when we did the, um, day, uh, not Deus. Uh, the Ex Machina, sorry, the Ex Machina podcast that Donald Gleason was in was one of the dwarves, but it's his brother Brian Gleason who is the who is the like the guy playing the liar who's the one who gets shot by an arrow. And oh, gets, oh, that's a Donald Gleason relative. I did not realize that. Very yeah. cool. Yeah, it's, his name's Brian Gleason. Well, those dwarves in the first movie. I mean, that's a who's who of great actors from Britain. I mean, that's a tough act to follow. I mean. Unbelievable to watch that because I remember the first time when we did that podcast, I didn't want to say any of their names. I just basically said, "You guys just go and you you discover them," because you you keep looking at these guys show up. I mean Eddie Martin. I mean so many people show up. You're like, "Holy cats! How did they get all these guys to do this?" Kelly, one, have you ever petted the white stag? I'm a half dwarf below the waist. One, two, three. Not only you and me got one made it up. Uh, <laughs> does that answer your question? Yeah, exactly. Was, all right. Yeah, I <laughs> my antlers always prick my finger, though. Mm. So I, uh, I gotta uh, put an arrow in it. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, Santa Domingo. <laughs> if you want it, then you should have put an arrow in it. Speaking of firing arrows, Kelly Wand, what's this week's 3x3? Three, three? three best firings. Woo! Very popular topic. Now by that, do you mean firings of arrows? Let's see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> no, he said firing from a job. Stop it. Okay. Oh. Well, uh, I want to give Tom all the yeah. rope he needs. Okay. Because he's a dirty cop. That's what he is. He it thinks he's the, you're, the, you're the cop. You're the cop. Kelly, one, I played this one straight. Fresh out of the academy, by the book for me this week. I'm going to be Carl Urban in Dread, so beware my chin. All right. That's that's movie, that siege movie, quote unquote siege movie that you guys love, Dread. And listeners, they can't all be wrong. And people who know what siege movies are. This is not a siege movie. Ah. Oh. I can't wait to watch it again and remind you guys that you're wrong. Once I remember, uh-huh, you're watching Dread again. <laughs> and he, he can't wait, Kelly. He can't wait to watch it. Again. Uh, I want to go back and see uh, Lena Headey getting, uh, you know, being the villain. She's awesome in that. Yeah. All right. 
My third favorite firing. Let me see. Did I write a line from it here? Okay, here we go. Did one of you fornicate with a heavy set woman in the big and tall dressing room? Fast times? Oh, Kelly Wan, I thought this would be in your wheelhouse. I thought you'd get like this. Bad Santa, but I... Dingus got it. Kelly Wan, Dingus poached a bad Santa reference from you. Mm. Is it really? <laughs> you ain't gonna shit right for a week. It's so it's John Ritter so good in that role, like John uh, Ritter's the straight guy, and he's firing uh, Billy Bob Thornton in the little uh, the little black actor. I, I I don't know who that was. Um, he's firing them uh, from the job, and and it's it's technically I don't know if I'm going to get pulled over for this. It's a firing scene, in that John Ritter has called them in because he's he doesn't like uh, Billy Bob Thornton. He thinks he's inappropriate for the children, so he's been trying to get him fired. So he finally catches him having sex in a stall, and he calls him into the office, and he, that's when he asks the line, did one of you fornicate with a heavyset woman in the big and tall dressing room? <laughs> and Billy Bob Thornton says something like, well, I've done a lot of fat chicks, but I don't think I've ever fornicated any of them. Uh, <laughs> and John Ritter is so good in that, by the way, like wincing every time Billy Bob Thornton like cusses. and uh, it, Yeah, he's just such a good straight man uh, in that movie. Um but but uh, that they turn the scene around on him by Billy Bob Thornton painting this this image of if he were to fire a a, a small black midget like a dwarf. Tony Cox, a, by the way. What's his name? Tony Cox. Tony Cox is that that short? Wow, awesome. Okay, good work, Dingus. Did you know that, or did you look it up? No, no I I I knew. I was just waiting for a break. Very good. Okay. Uh, and he turns it around on John Ritter by painting a picture of a, a midget protest that if, if he's unjustly fired, that a midget protest will lay siege to the mall. Uh, and so it gets John Ritter to back off. Um, Kylan, I'm really disappointed that fornicating with the heavyset woman in the big and tall dressing room didn't uh, ring any bells for you. Well, I'm already thinking logistics. And, uh, oh, when did I hear that? But it, it's such a great image. I mean, I immediately see the image of their legs outside the dressing room and him saying that line, you ain't going to shit right fully. Yeah, that's – we don't need – I like – let's go, let's go straight to the firing scene. We don't need to dwell. This is not – I think it's a three-by-three. It's not dressing rooms. I apologize, but just that picture in my head when you – as soon as you said that, I was like, it's got to be that. Oh well, God. the thing is that's what, that's what John Ritter witnesses. Like the point of that scene is that John Ritter is seen and hearing that. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so how is he being fired? Well, he's calling him in to fire them, and he's going to say, uh, you know what? I'm going to have to let you go, and that's when Billy Bob Thornton spins out this image of little short people with little tiny uh, megaphones. So it's an fire. Yeah, exactly, and he's, he's talking about them having little tiny protest signs uh, <laughs> and how they're going uh, to come to the mall and uh, protest if they get fired. I want to pull you over, but I have one that's similar, so I can't pull you over. Okay, good, good. Well, it is a firing scene. Like, so, why would you even be pulled over? Because no one actually gets fired, I think. Right. Well, it's not about people being terminated. It's a firing scene. He could. Oh, I mean, you know, the law can be picky. The, like, yeah, that's it depends a good point. on. You know, it's within the spirit of the law, but we'd have to leave it to the courts, Dingus, to decide whether it's the letter of the law. That's true. I think he said best firings from a job. So yeah, you're probably right. Dingus, don't support him. I'm sorry. I'm just Instead, reading. Give us your transcript. third favorite. Give us your third favorite firing before I get pulled over. All right, you have failed me for the last time, Admiral. Yeah, but what's your third favorite firing? <laughs> thing is, uh, thing is the only Star Wars. Okay, I got that reference. By Wait, the I like it. Admiral Ozzel's clumsy as he is stupid. Yes, he is. Um, at first, you know, I was going to go with uh, Captain Nita. Um, 
<laughs> I mean, apology accepted. But I didn't yeah. think apology accepted was enough. But, and actually, apology accepted was the first thing that leapt into my mind. And when I looked up, he's not being fired. Accept- he's accepting his apology. Yeah, um, it's his resignation. <laughs> right. Okay. First of all, you don't get fired when you're in the military. So Kelly, pull him over. You're not firing in the military. You're demoted or you're removed from command. You're not fired. Is that allowed, Kelly Wand? Dingus, can you wiggle room this? Yeah, I don't see this necessarily as um, the military. Uh I see it more as a a major corporation. Oh, the empire is not military now. Yeah, it's a corporation. Oh, my God. They call themselves colonels and generals, but that's part of their culture. Or the culture of the Death Star Corporation. It's like, what do the, what do the <sighs> Apple people call themselves who work at Apple stores? Like, don't they have a name the for geniuses? The Genius Squad. <laughs> that's, that's, you're thinking of Best Buy. Oh, that's the Geek Squad. Uh, <laughs> the Geek, the Geek Troop. Yeah. Um, so we <laughs> can use we can use military uh, dismissals, right? Kelly Wand, it's allowed. Uh, God, it's such a slippery slope. <laughs> I'm really. I was hoping you, Tom, would pull this kind of shit. Thing is, you usually are very. Um, it's okay. Keep, I don't you, mind. You keep your nose clean usually. I don't mind a little time in the pokey. I'm fine. For Star Wars, Dingus will take any. Yeah, he'll. he'll I mean, it's a really it. funny choice. That's the thing that makes me want to not pull him over. <laughs> All right. Plus, he has a good record. He has a good record. Like it's a first offense. But it's the kind of thing where once word gets out, I'm just gonna have to. Give a speech, and I'm going to be run out of time on a rail. <laughs> what are you doing to me? My administration's collapsing already. Well, then, Kelly, yeah, let's let's prop it, prop it up with your third favorite firing. Let's let's give your administration a shot in the pants. What do you got for us? My shot in the pants is a quote. <clears throat> so you see, honey, I'm not out there committing adultery. I'm out there committing murder. Oh, thank God. <sighs> You guys don't watch movies. <laughs> I hate this podcast so much. Uh, it's a mad, 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 mad world. Oh! I'm just going to talk like that from now on. Oh. Oh. Uh, is it from Force Awakens? It's from my favorite Robin Williams movie. Oh, uh, uh, Centennial Man. By Centennial Man. By Centennial Man, all right. No, that's the oh, Dustin Hoffman. Oh, oh, actually, I do. Is it is it one sh- that foot photography thing where he's a photography developer? Oh, birdcage. No, what is that thing called? The photo map movie. One hour photo. Yes. Oh, thank that. you. Right. No, it is. It is one hour photo. <sighs> <laughs> All right, that's my number three. So movie. wait, your your favorite okay. Robin Williams movie? Hold on, I think I can guess this. It's uh uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. How can someone have a favorite Robin Williams movie, by the way? It's a red Tom. World's Best Dad? Because I know yeah. it's like that They made one. a couple good movies. You just have to dig deep. That's your hint. Good Morning Vietnam? Is it another Could military be a reference thing? to a hook treasure chest. Good Morning Vietnam. That's no one's favorite. Anything. Oh, it's Dead Poet Society, because he gets dismissed from his teaching position. Oh, God, my God. Um, <laughs> oh, Captain, my Captain. <laughs> Uh, uh, it's uh, the survivors with um Jerry oh, Reed. Who? The survivors. God. Do you even Wrong know what that is, Dingus? No, he stopped watching movies in 1979. Anyways, boss's parrot fires him. 
so <laughs> joins a survivalist colony. What, well, tell us about the firing. How does it go? He goes in. The secretary's all, hi, Mr. Quinnell, and he's all morning, and she goes, Mr. Stoddard would like you to step into the boardroom, and then he's all, oh, he wants to see me? And then she goes, yeah, go right in, and then he goes in, and then it's a parrot. And then, uh, it's kind of like in Life Less Ordinary, where a robot fires. Uh, hey, someone could have picked that one, Kelly Wand. That's no one's favorite anything either. Anyway, Walter Matthau's also in this movie. So the so, parrot actually fires him. Yeah, it's a parrot firing him. So it's the indignity. Well, the parrot's passing down the message. The parrot's not running HR or anything. Right. Yeah. So that's my number three. My number two favorite firing <laughs> is good. a movie that you guys haven't seen, and you're both jerks for not having seen it. It was one of my favorite that year. There's a Kelly Reichardt movie called Night Moves. Um with Jesse Eisenberg, Dakota Fanning, Peter Sarsgaard. Uh, one of the guys from Green Room is in it, by the way, who I really love. Uh, Aaliyah Shawcat is in it. Uh, it's also great. Um, Night Moves, and I, you know, I can't say too much, but uh, Night Moves is basically about it's – a, it's, a, it's an anti-thriller from Kelly Reichardt. Uh, it's, it's, it's a, if Kelly Reichardt were to make a thriller, it's what a thriller would be. Uh, and Jesse Eisenberg's character does something terrible. And he lives on uh, an agricultural co-op up in or- Oregon, in Portland, or not Portland, just somewhere in Oregon. Because uh, Kelly Reichardt's movies are a lot about Oregon. Like she shoots up there. I presume she's from there. She very much makes movies about the character of Oregon. So he lives and works on this agricultural co-op. And he starts noticing after he has done this thing that people aren't making eye contact with him and they're not talking to him. And after a few days of this, he gets called in by the guy who runs the place, played by an actor I really, really liked named Kai Lennox. Uh, and he calls him in and basically says, look, I, it's none of my business what you're doing, but I just can't – this can't come down on me. You've got to leave. And because it's an agricultural co-op where you work for a living, by the way, I'm counting that as a firing because it's a great scene because Night Moves is basically one of those thrillers where one of the characters realizes that things are closing in on him more and more and more. Uh, and it Jesse Eisenberg is so good in it. Uh, it's a super like understated performance, the exact opposite of the nonsense he does in Batman vs. Superman. Uh, and just his realization as this cool, personable actor named Kai Lennox is basically saying, look, man, I got to let you go. And he's realizing they know what – you know, I just – what I've done, people realize. Uh, just the, the two men in that scene I really like, and I love that scene. I love that movie. Neither of you guys have seen it, so that's it. I will not be fielding questions. <clears throat> I will be moving on to Dingus's number two favorite firing. I will ask real quick. Kelly Wan, can I get away with that? Because it's an agricultural co-op where you live and work. If you are asked to leave the co-op, can I use that as a firing? Well, like real cops, when a motorist tells me I will not be fielding questions, I just let him go. <laughs> Please enjoy your journey. Drive as fast as you want. I don't care. Awesome. Get out. Dingus, what's your second? Knowing, knowing that he was going to do something questionable, he still criticized my pick about a military person being fired. Well, I don't know what movies. Are you talking about me or Kelly Wand? You. Oh. 
Dingus, I won't stand for any of that nonsense. Wait do you see my number one. All right, Dingus, uh, your second favorite firing is... I'll show you nonsense. Here's a quote from it. So is this a moral situation or an ethical situation? Or is it because you love my breasts? What? Oh, well, well, I thought I was finishing the line. That's not from your friends and neighbors. No. Oh, that's that's just something Tom says. Trust me. <laughs> Tom, no, there's that great line. Either bro or a man's ear, I'm afraid. There's that great line where uh, where she says to Ben Stiller, uh, "Is this a moral situation, or is it because you love my tits?" And he says, "Well, why can't it be both?" I thought you were doing that line, but leaving off the latter part of it. No. Catherine Keener and him are having the fight. Never mind. All right. In that case, I don't she, – because she's not firing him in that scene, come to think of it. I don't know why I would think that that's a scene about firing. <laughs> I just tripped a circuit in your brain. <laughs> you're now – you're going to be a Manchurian candidate. Who knows what could happen? It's no, firing because it's military. <laughs> you know what they call a bunch of people who uh, do that in the military? A firing squad. All right. Anyway, moving on. Uh, the uh, firing in question here is the firing of Dave Novotny in uh, the movie Election. And oh, this, right, right. this mm-hmm. is um, uh, Matthew Broderick's uh, good friend at the school. In the, in the brilliant opening, I mean, this long, protracted, beautiful opening sequence where we're, where we're getting to know Tracy Flick. And she's raising her hand, she's raising her hand, she's raising her hand. And... Um, she, there are these awful freeze frames of Reese Witherspoon's face that are just so beautiful, and I just love the fact that they allowed her to look so weird in them. Uh, and then you get a like a bunch of like this is what else is going on, and then we go back to the fact that she's still trying to answer this question about uh, the difference between a moral situation and an ethical situation. And um, then there's another pause, and uh, Matthew Broderick's character then says, um, "You should know something else about this. Uh, the fact is that Tracy Flick and Dave Novotny were uh, having an affair. Uh, they had gotten they, this is the teacher Dave Novotny." Uh, who was also the yearbook advisor, um, seduces the student, Tracy Flick, uh, and this destroys his marriage, destroys his life. Um, And you have the scene where he's in the principal's office, uh, Dave Novotny, who's played by a a guy named Mark Herlick, um, who I, the only, the only other thing I know him from, I know he's been in a lot of stuff. The only thing, other thing I know him from is this, uh, this uh, episode of Seinfeld where he plays this tennis pro named Milos. Um, but uh, David Novotny is in the office of the principal, and the principal's like, look, uh, I got this. He, he the, the, the scene opens with the principal reading this terribly sophomoric card that, that Dave has sent to Tracy about how they should go off to Maui together, and it's just so sad, and oh, oh my gosh, it's so sad and sappy. Um, and uh, Matthew Broderick sitting over to there to the side, just like looking downtrodden because he's just trying to be there to support his friend, and there has to be a witness in the room. And the principal is asking him, look, I have never had a more angry phone call from a mother in my life. She is so angry. What I need to know is, did you cross the line with this girl? And Dave Novotny just starts breaking down in tears and saying that and just holding fast to the fact that he's in love with this girl uh, when she's really just uh, using him and he has been completely inappropriate, of course, as a teacher and he gets dismissed from his job, he gets fired and he loses his family and he has to move back 
to uh, Cleveland or wherever to live with his his parents. Um, so that particular firing in the office of the principal where he's just broken down in tears. And Mark Halleck plays it so well. He's so committed to it. And uh, I, I also, I just love the, the weird um, way that their faces aren't totally clean-shaven, both him and Matthew Broderick. I don't know if uh, Alexander Payne just didn't have the the uh, the budget to have them clean-shaven all the time, or they just had this weird 5 o'clock shadow all the time. Uh, but anyway, it's that moment. It is pretty expensive to keep dudes clean-shaven, Dingus. Yeah, I would think so. It's a budget issue. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, I can't imagine the law having any problem with that one. No, that's a good one. Kelly Wine, what, what's your second favorite firing in a movie? My number two in the movie's firing favorite is the movie uh, Jerry Maguire, where uh, Jay Moore takes him to the diner, and then he makes that speech about his fish. I thought that was good. It's kind of the famous one. Yeah, I, I was yeah. hoping someone would bring that up so I wouldn't have to. Can you do a few lines from it? These fish have manners. <laughs> <laughs> Who's coming with me? Anyone? Who's coming with me? It is kind of he is kind of doing a Jim Carrey manic thing in that scene, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. And he doesn't. Tom Cruise doesn't play very many scenes where he's being kind of pathetic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and he's really good at it. I don't know. That's a good scene. I think it's the last time I liked a Cameron Crowe thing. But then wow. by the end, it turns into you had me at hello, and then um, you complete me. So you, then, you didn't see the Hawaii one? Was it called Aloha? What was that one called? It's Aloha. Uh, yeah, with uh, Emma Stone and Bradley Cooper. Because that, that'll put you off your camera and crow. Mm, did you read Fast Times, original High the book? It's pretty cool. Was it a book? Oh, yeah, no, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like a a, a woman went yeah. to cover and did an expose or something, right? Wasn't it? Uh, you're thinking of the Drew Barrymore riff. Yeah, what? Cameron Crowe's wife. Cameron Crowe went undercover. It was Cameron Crowe went undercover. Yeah. yeah, who's Amy Heckerling? She directed Clueless and Fast Times. Uh, okay, well that's what, okay. That's what. Well, all right. Well, I'm I'm crossing the streams here. Um, um, do you remember where uh, you thought she went undercover? <laughs> I thought maybe she was a writer who went undercover and did a series of articles for Rolling Stone about being in high school. You got everything right, but the gender. You <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> ah, Cameron Crowe mixed up with Amy Hackerling. Hello, you're pulled over. Do you remember Tom, where? Do you remember where you complete me comes from in that movie? Yeah, the mute people. Yeah, the the people who are doing uh, sign language on the elevator. Because I watched that movie again this week too. Because I I really do love that. I know I'm glad you picked this. I love that scene. Not for the least reason is that. Uh, Nowadays, it would be filmed so differently because of the way cell phones work and how they run back to the office and they're punching different lines on their phones and, and people's phones are busy and you get a busy tone. And, uh, well, it, you know, uh, Jane, as soon as uh, his line isn't busy, make sure you get through to him. Um, nobody ever has a busy tone anymore. And so that whole idea that, that Jay Moore has drawn him away from the office in order to start poaching his guys and then he has to sprint back to the office in order to start calling them. It's it's so quaint. Yeah. Those were the days. Yeah. See? My favorite firing of all time in movie dumb. I'm gonna give you guys a line. Ready for this? <clears throat> Staros, I'm relieving you of your command. Uh no one? What? 
It sounds so, military, Tom. You better watch out. It maybe is, but if you can, if you did it, I can do it. Uh, so in Thin Red Line, uh, there's I think of this kind of as a, a bookend. Nick Nolte is is uh, almost a fulcrum in Thin Red Line. He does an amazing job. Oh, this is very interesting. I, okay, good. Go ahead. Sorry. So so Nick Nolte is a, a I don't know if he'd be a lieutenant or he's a middle echelon commander. And early on in the movie. He's basically uh, – John Travolta as his superior is holding forth on a transport ship, and he's – Terrence Malick plays us his inner monologue as Travolta is in a ridiculous mustache, like just holding forth about what they're doing, and he's putting up with it and yes-sirring him. Um, and then they get landed on uh, – I don't know if it's supposed to be Okinawa, or, but it's a, it's a, a battle in the, in the Pacific Theater in World War II. That's the bulk of the movie, and during the movie, Elias Codius is a man underneath – uh, Nick Nolte's command refuses orders to charge an entrenched, entrenched position because he feels that it's basically going to be suicide. And there's this amazing scene where Nick Nolte, who's a guy who's in the military, who's been in the military for 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 years, is on one of those uh, landlines. I don't know what you would call them. It's, a, it's the phone box. I don't know that yeah, they would phone have box, it. Phone box. Yeah. Uh, and he's telling Elias Codius, I need you to advance on this position. And Elias Codius is like, I don't think that's a good idea, sir. I'd rather just do a recon around the edges. And Nick Nolte is like, no, I need you to advance on this position. And Elias Codius is saying, sir, I don't think that's a good idea. I'm lodged. And he's a lawyer, by the way. His character's a lawyer in the real world who becomes a soldier. And he's saying, sir, I don't think that's a good idea. I'm watching my objection right now. I have two witnesses. It's 12, 13 in the afternoon. I advise you to get your witnesses as well. And he's playing it like a procedural, like a legal procedural. And Nick Nolte is livid, but he is so completely helpless because he's on a phone box. You know, he can't in- intimidate the man and like yell in his face there. He's just on a phone line being given lawyerly stuff for Elias Codius refusing to follow orders. Uh so later in the movie, of course, the fallout of this is he calls in Elias Codius' character. He's a, he's a, a Greek soldier named, named Staros and says, I'm relieving you of your command. And is the complete opposite of that feral scenery chomping stuff that Nick Nolte has been doing. And instead, he's almost like quietly vindictive about it. And it's kind of a mirror image of him having to put up with John Travolta. Uh, and just feeling put down, and him kind of projecting that onto Elias Codius's character. Uh, and just as a scene, uh, it's great. Just they're, they're, they're back and forth. Uh, Elias Codius basically says, uh, I don't like to see my men get killed, sir. And when he registers that objection, you can see Nick Nolte's face just uncomprehending because he's, he's <laughs> a warrior. He understands war like he understands – that's terrible. That's a part of what you do as a commander is your men will get killed. And he's just – like that makes no sense to him. Uh, and the point of the scene and the point of Thin Red Line is that war is uh, – it's antithetical to men who aren't ruthless, that if you're not ruthless and brutal, you, you shouldn't be in war, that that's who war is for. And there's even a great bit – when Terrence Malick shoots, I've heard it said that – He'll be setting up a big elaborate scene uh, with lots of extras, uh, and they're losing their light, and they really need to get this shot. But he gets interested in like the way that uh, a flower is bending in the wind. So he's like, come over here. We need to get shots of this, and he'll just focus on that instead. And he edits his movies like that too, is he'll just have some, some 
odd shot of grass or a breeze blowing through the trees or something. So during this bit where uh, Nick Nolte is firing Elias Codius, at one point he has a little discursive, like a little uh, tangent in his monologue where he says, do you see those vines over there twisting around that tree, choking it? Nature is cruel, and he uses that, and it's just like Terrence Malick's mindset yeah. uh, is he's delivering this speech, and then he gets distracted by these vines, and he uses it to make a point. Um, so, and I love the scene, too, because he uh, says to Elias Codius that he will set him up with uh, a desk job in Washington, and almost because Elias Codius is just completely like – he feels very strongly. He thinks this is a bad idea. He just thinks, you know, he's keenly aware of how cruel war is and how he doesn't fit there. Nick Nolte almost spitefully says, "And furthermore, I'm going to put you in for a silver star. Might as well give you a purple heart too." Uh, and it's basically piling these medals on him that he doesn't deserve, and he knows he doesn't deserve them. Uh, so there is my military one. So if Dingus can do it, I can do it. Uh, and it is a successful firing. It is not, of course. Turned around, he does get relieved of his command. We presume, but isn't he, just being, isn't he just being demoted? Uh, relieved of your command, I think, is definitely would be considered a firing for someone in in the military. Like he's not being executed, like Darth Vader would do. Uh, and actually, technically, think it's probably not even a uh, a demotion because he's being transferred to be, I think, what's called like an adjutant in Washington. That's what uh, Nick Nolte says. So it's probably even just a lateral move. But the fact that he's being relieved of his command, the men that he didn't want to see killed, he can no longer shepherd them. Like he is no longer there to protect and see them through war, to refuse suicidal orders. Uh, I think he sees it as, you know, it's, it's a firing. He's, he's lost control of these men for whom he was responsible. Because hmm. I had one that was kind of along those lines that seems more like within a structure to be a transfer or a demotion. Um, this is I mean, I, I like that you're what you're talking about, but if somebody gets relieved of their command, they're still in the military. Right? right. Yeah, I don't think you can ever get unless you're uh, you're court martialed. I don't think you yeah. ever get uh, you get like, fired from the military, right? Uh, but the scene opens with him saying, "I'm relieving you of your command." So I'm I'm making an equivalence between that and being fired. Which, right. if you can do Darth Vader, I can do Nick Nolte. All right, fair enough. But I, for a, a runner-up, I have uh, I wouldn't like to put a book, bookmark here because there's one that I had that I was close on um, that I would like to talk about later on. Well, I heard Kelly Wan say he's in the donut shop, so maybe we'll be able to get it in before he comes out and uh, gets in his squad car. All right. For minor offenses, Vader demotes you to seaman. <laughs> See, Dingus, he came out of the donut shop, and that's what we got. Okay, I'm going back <laughs> into the donut shop now. <laughs> I think it's. What is your favorite firing in a movie? Maybe give right. us a line from it. Here's a quote from it. Is that them? Jesus. Are they going to do it right here? That's not very helpful. Uh, no, wait. Nope. Ah. Dingus, I just want – an assassination is not a firing. It's not you getting I've fired for life. Shut. Shut. Really? You recognize that, Kelly Wand? Yeah. Is that them? They're going to do it from here? This is recent. Fuck. All right. Heart of the sea. I'm going to feel dumb in a minute. All right, here's another quote from it for you guys, because I just love, I love this movie so freaking much. Um, hey, look, I was working on something, but they wouldn't let me finish it. Oh, I know Take what it is. 
Oh no, yeah. I know what it is. Margin call. Did someone get fired in margin call? Oh oh oh. Every, uh, are you uh, kidding? Jeremy Tucci. Right, right. Well, not during the that not during the previously the previous day, but not during events. Right. Not during what? Not during the events of that evening. Like the overnight pressure cooker bits. That's what sets the whole movie in motion. Right, right. Right. So it's it's well before that, it's it's that whole that whole time, that whole sequence well the specific firing that I'm talking about is Eric Dale, which is the Stanley Tucci character sitting in that office and having to have um and you know, there's another very popular movie that shows this kind of culture of we're going to let you go thing going on but i love this the way this goes on uh, these two women telling him you know these are your opportunities this is your transition i know this is a hard time and of course they put that folder down in front of him that says that that shows the sailboat on it which of course makes me think of um the next jc chandra movie that we uh, reviewed after this movie um but the, just the way that Stanley Tucci is sitting in that room and not quite comprehending what's going on, even though everybody knows that this is what is going on, because the, the that first quote I said is 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 the younger guy Seth knowing is this you know is that them Jesus are they going to do it right here this it, it looks like this armada with just like a few people coming onto their floor to basically pick them apart. And they go on, they put their hand on somebody's shoulder and say, Hey, I need to talk to you. Sorry. I need to talk to you. And what I had forgotten. And until I watched this again this week is that what happens is that, um, Zachary Kinto's character is sitting at his computer working with his earbuds in and he gets his hand put, uh, gets a hand put on his shoulder and he looks up and he's like, I mean, he, he's. I mean, it's that moment of death. It's like death has come for you. And he takes the earbud out, and the woman goes, "Eric Dale." And he goes, "What?" She goes, "Eric Dale." He goes, "No, no, that's that's my boss." And then she has to go over to Stanley Tucci's office, his boss, and say, "Eric Dale, we need to talk to you." And then Stanley Tucci goes into the office and sits down, and they they lay out, "Okay, you're you know the this is what the company's offering. Your severance is six months at, at half your salary." Um, and your your shares will be vested in da 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 da, and of course he's then ushered out of the building by the security guard after getting all of his personal effects. He's been there 19 years. He puts all his personal effects away. Paul Bettany co- goes to say, "Yeah, I'm really sorry this happened. I, I'm sorry I couldn't help you at all." And he's like, "Yeah, who did it?" He finds out Demo- Demi Moore did it just by the fact that Paul Bettany doesn't say anything when he says her name, um, and then. On his way out in the elevator, just because of how Zachary Kinto is basically saying, I appreciate all you've done for me, he hands over this thumb drive and says, you should take a look at this, just be careful. Um, And then, of course, they've shut down his phone, they've shut down his email, they've shut down everything. So all of the the things that happen in this movie happen because of this moment. And they can't get in touch with him when they need to because they've shut down his phone. And all the things that transpire in that movie is because of the way that the firing is handled and the way that the immediate aftermath of the firing is handled. Um, so that, that whole margin calling, oh man, I cannot tell you how much I love this movie. Mm. Hey, Kelly Wan, you got to top that. Good luck. What's a firing that's your number one is better than that one. <sighs> Fuck you. That's my name. I feel like I should know that. Oh, oh, uh, wait. That's Glengarry. Uh, oh, yeah. Right. Does that count, Dingus? 
Remember, Wait, I didn't you're the you cop. Over. You're asking Dingus when you're the cop. All right, move along. Move <laughs> along. There'll be uh, yeah, no Glengarry because they all. It's like a big firing. It's like where a firing's hanging over you. That's what I was gonna say. I don't remember. Does anyone ever actually get fired? I mean, I know someone gets firing. arrested. It's not a firing, Kelly. It's a potential firing. Mm. Third I don't got to sit here and listen to this shit. Certainly don't, pal. The good news is you're fired. The bad news is you've all got a week to regain your jobs. Oh, okay, tonight, yeah. Starting right. with tonight's sit. Very good, Kelly. All right, you just... They're uh, not literally fired, though, Dingus. Don't fall for his shenanigans. <laughs> it's a figure no, of speech. He did, his, he did his silver-tongued lawyer talk like he always does. Yeah. Kelly Wand or Alec Baldwin? Yes. Yeah. Because Kelly Wand has brass balls. A, B, C, Tom. Always be closing, right? Always be Kelly. A, I, D, A. Always be Kelly. <laughs> Do I have your attention, Tom? Are you interested? I know I, you are because it's fuck or walk. You can close the bricks, first? Tom. Can I get a cup of coffee over here first? <laughs> Put that coffee down. Is that what he said? <laughs> It was, it was good. It was a little strident, but you had the right idea. Good work, Kelly. <laughs> a little strident. Hey, Kelly, how you much is your watch? Salesman? Your I watch cost more than your fucking car. That's my name. Wait, isn't there something specific about a Hyundai? You drove a Hyundai to get here. I drove an $80,000 BMW. That's my name, and your name is your wadding, <laughs> Tom. Not chick. I like how a Hyundai became a Hyundai. What did you call it? Hyundai. Yeah. Hyundai. Three more syllables. It takes brass balls to sell real estate. Okay. Yeah, I think he's got a good loophole there, Dingus. Yeah, I think he looped it. All right. I got the leads. Say. Do Mitch and Murray know this? I made nine or seventy thousand dollars last year. How much you make? See, pal, that's who I am. You're nothing, nice guy. I don't give a shit. Good father. Fuck you. Go home and play with your kids. You think this is abuse, you cocksucker? All right. Come well, on, it's good. It's a good play. It I prefer the play. book version. I prefer. I read that in the Swarm back to back. Is the really book version good. really? <laughs> the book version. Kelly, one. Do the listeners have any Ow. input for uh, firings in movies that they like? Uh, yeah. There's a million. Jesus Christ. Oh, <laughs> Michael Ashley writes James Earl Jones restructures the Navy in The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> he put it much better than I did. Asif Monvi, with great impotence and great ineffectuality, rips a third of a pizza delivery sticker off the moped helmet of Tobey Maguire in Spider-Man 2. Asif Monvi is also in Margin Call. I forgot that. He will not be sharing a cold one with us. (laughs) (laughs) The mob ends Pesci's employment, etc. in Goodfellas. Those are all really good choices. Maybe Uh, I was too pessimistic. I disagree with the Goodfellas one. What? What are you talking about? They don't. He's. They're just not making him. Like he's not yeah. being made. It's not. That no, he's, that's. I mean, being he's being fired from life, but he's not being. No, he's not given being a given a promotion. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. It's a lateral move. That is not a firing. I, I reject. Does he still that. work there? Mm, that's a good point. It's a no, term, but it, he's on it's termination. Like a paycheck. I would say not a firing. It is a termination. Huh. It's a severance. Severance. That's what uh, 
Lucy Liu gave that dude and killed Bill. And she fired him. Get it? Because severance. Because sword. Lake severance. Paul Weimer writes, Hi guys, three best firings coming right up. Number three in the fifth element, Corbin Dallas, Bruce Willis, has his airship delivering Chinese restaurant vendor read his incoming mail. The restaurateur is confident it's good news. Uh, this is a great one. Wait, you remember what? And so the the restaurateur triumphantly reads, You're fired! <laughs> what? I don't remember this at all. Oh, I totally remember it. It's really funny. It's that Chinese guy. He's all good news. You're fired. And then he's to Bruce Willis. Yeah, he gets oh, fired right. from the cab company. That's funny. Yeah, it's great. It's great delivery. At least he got a free lunch as a result. Number two and Back to the Future two. <laughs> I never understood this scene. The whole scene feels oh. like oh yuck. Okay. Yeah, it's like I don't want to think about that scene. Because the, the makeup is so horrible. A, yeah, and it's like, that's a repudiation of the character, even more than the Huntsman. The 2015 future version of Marty McFly, after a side deal goes wrong, gets fired by his Japanese boss by fax. In fact, every one of the many fax machines in his house spit out the you're fired message. Why does he get fired, do you remember? Because a guy on a screen goes, hey, try this thing. And then just says some, it's pure exposition. Oh, and then... Right. The second the guy hangs up, his boss calls and goes, you're fired. It's similar to the fifth element. Okay. It's just uh, Asian dude telling you something. Uh, number one, in the original <laughs> RoboCop's climactic showdown, Dick Jones, Ronnie Cox, gets fired on the spot by his company's chairman so that RoboCop... Wait, I thought Ronnie Cox fires... No, Ronnie Cox... No, he gets fired. fired. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry. Sorry, Weimer. Sorry about that. That's a great one, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah really good. Nice. I didn't even think about that because he's holding him hostage, isn't he? Yeah, it's a huge plot point because once he fires him, then he can shoot him. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's actually pretty good. It's pretty good writing in a Paul Rowan movie, as usual. No Esther House yet. So that RoboCop can overcome his programming block and arresting OCP employees and deal with them by shooting them through a window to his death. Glad I'd use this one for last week. <laughs> three by three. <laughs> As always. Very good, Paul. Grant Stewart. Personally, I hate when sackings are played as power fantasy about how you'd punch your boss or poop in his drawer or something. <laughs> that my, here are my three. <laughs> Is pooping in your boss's drawer a common fantasy? Power fantasy? I think it's a euphemism. I'd be really worried about, okay, I got a plan, and then, oh, what if I can't? I don't know. It's like you got to give yourself diarrhea as a to get your boss. Like he's I love how much you've thought this through. Yeah. I'd be worried about the DNA. Isn't there DNA involved? No one has drawers anymore. Desks. It's just like a thing. It's like a table. Okay, what? Number three, falling down. This is maybe a little oh, bit nice. close to power fantasy, but it's ultimately slightly pathetic watching Michael Douglas slowly paint himself into a corner with his antics. Antics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The shooting. We're quite, I totally forgot scene. about falling down. Yeah, I don't like it. It's too Schumachery. But um, you think it's Schumachery? How is it Schumachery? Because he directed it a while. Because he directed it. <laughs> is Tigerland Schumachery? Because I think there are some Schumacher movies that aren't Schumachery, and I think of Falling Down in Tigerland as a couple of them. There's a lot of non-Michael Douglas parts. 
Who's the cop in it? Fucking De Niro or something? Oh, uh, uh, not De Niro. The other, Robert Duvall, isn't it? Yeah. 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 That part's lame. Really? And there's a okay. lot of it. I don't like it. Disappointing. I'd rather just watch more antics. You know what? You're. I mean, that is definitely the strong point in the movie. Yeah. The oh, antics are very stingy. I, lo- I love the way you say the name as if it's a different name when it's a, like a bad movie, as if mockery is part of it. Shoe mockery. mockery. Yeah. I like the way you did that. That's certainly that Batman movie is shoe mockery. Right, They're good. all shoe mockery now, except for one. There's one good Batman movie out of nine. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it is kind of true, isn't it? Yeah. And we're still like, yeah, we're over the curve. Number two, margin call. Surely this got an MPA rating for redundancies throughout. In particular, I like the sacking of Stanley Tucci than having to rehire him as a consultant for one day so they have a compliance officer present when shit hits the fan. He's just so relatable and we can understand his position. For the money he's getting, we would all do exactly the same thing. He doesn't even want to do it for the money. They, like, make him do it for the money. Number one, cheap thrills. We don't even hear the dialogue as Pat Healy gets sacked from his job doing oil changes and basic servicing in the local garage. He plays the committed family man so well with such a likable twist of vulnerability but slowly compromises his morals in greater increments throughout the course of the movie. Tom recommended this movie and mentioned the memorable last shot. You're not wrong, Tom. Uh, So the thing you were just asking about, the boss's drawer, Kelly Wand? Yeah, that happens. A significant plot point in cheap thrills, I'll just say. Is it a MacGuffin? I'm not going to say anything else other than you made me. When you were describing that, I thought of Cheap Thrills, and here comes Grant Stewart telling you about Cheap Thrills and how you should see it. Uh, want to figure under the skin in as a sacking, but I think it's just Scott Johansson telepathically handing in her notice. Good night, gentlemen. Grant. She Yeah, she kind of quits, huh? Yeah. Chris Cesarano? Yeah, he was on last week. Hey, quarter to three crew, checking in once again with far less controversial picks for the new 3x3. Number three, Fifth Element. <laughs> a simple one I love Mr. Kim, the cook and owner of the Chinese hoverboat eatery, bets Corbin Dallas's lunch that his latest news is good. The ecstatic way in which he reads, you're fired, immediately followed by a sad expression and the cat meowing never finishes. <laughs> Why didn't you tell us there was a cat meowing when you described it, Kelly Wand? There's a cat meowing behind me and I thought you just... Put him, connect the dots. Oh, that cat. Number two, Fight Club. I'm Jack's complete lack of surprise. Wait a minute. Because I, I was thinking nah, of Fight Club. Nah. He get fired? Yeah, that's not firing. Ah, it, okay. Doesn't he get fired and then he just demands his own severance? Is Dingus right, Kelly Wand? I think I he gets know, fired maybe. and then he just he does that whole thing where he punches himself out and then he's able to say, this is what I want for my... Severance package. Uh, maybe Dingus is right. Read what uh, what uh, what's his name again? Chris Cesarano. Chris Cesarano. Yeah. yeah. Read what he said. He can probably clear this up. But I think now, Dingus tec- is right. Now, technically, this might be more trouble with the three by three cop, as the scene begins with the protagonist sitting down with his boss to quote make negotiations. To put it politely. However, the protagonist losing his job is inevitable, and his boss uses the opportunity to fire him ahead of his review. Of course, the protagonist instead beats himself up, something that could have looked so terrible and yet looked so convincing in this film. Most notably, the protagonist slips the line that it seems very familiar. A subtle hint towards the film's twist and the truth about earlier scenes. Oh, yeah. I don't remember. Do you remember the cat meowing? (laughs) In that part? 
Number one, Citizen Kane. I feel a bit trite for loving this film as much as I do. But ever since I saw it in college, I've come to understand why it's on so many lists. One of the greatest moments is when Leland asked to write a review of the opera that Kane's wife performed in a review he was unable to finish after getting drunk. Kane finished it himself and made sure to tell his friend Leland, his chum from school, that he was fired. Thanks for the show, guys. Oh, I forgot that. That's a great one. Tom's the Citizen Kane detractor. Whatever. It's before we knew how to make good movies. <laughs> I mean, it, it, people loved it back then, right? But we yeah, Before the 70s, nobody could make a good movie. There were, there were a couple, but not that one. That one's boring. It's in black and white for Pete's sake. What are you going to do? Mm. Add color. Like, um... Never mind. <laughs> I was going to say the whole movie's in the ring, so... Uh, it's probably not a good analogy. Jamie Cabrera? Jaime Cabrera? Jaime. Jaime Cabrera. Sorry. Hello, all. Here are my... T- it- Thrones on the brain. <laughs> Hello, all. Here are my top three firings in movies. My theme is interesting ways the firing happens. Number three, Men in Black 2. <laughs> what? There's a movie you don't hear the title of often. Patrick <laughs> Warburton's character is a gung-ho agent, but Will Smith takes him to a diner to, neutra- to neuralize him. I never really figured out if that was his intention taking him there, but he ends up doing it when Warburton breaks into tears. That's the second one? I guess so, huh? Number two, Back to the Future 2. Marty gets fired by toilet paper facts. Nuff said. Number one, Office Space. Milton gets fired by not getting fired. They just make his job consistently more intolerable from not getting paid to being put in the basement until he finally snaps. Runner-up, because it doesn't fit in the theme, RoboCop. (laughs) That's not an interesting way the firing happens. So it didn't fit that theme, RoboCop. The executive, played by Ronnie Cox, gets fired so Murphy can shoot him. Love the show, guys. What is it? How does he object to the RoboCop one? Of course, that's a great one. What? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Pull him over it, for, for having a doubt. Yeah, you're this. under arrest for that being interesting. Sebastian Dunn writes, as in school, I submit my homework half done. Dick, you're fired. RoboCop was the first to spring to mind. Upon rewatching that final scene, I found myself especially liking the couple of quick reaction shots of Donald Johnson smelling with glee as Dick Jones gets gets gunned down. Donald Johnson, Dick Jones gets gunned. Got it. You said he got dicked down. Dick down, get gunned down. Glee. He got dicked down. The second one doesn't really count, but Alec Baldwin does say you're fired, though I don't think they're technically uh-huh. fired. Uh-huh. Let Ross be the movie I'm talking about here. Cheers off to watch The Witch. Another time twister. They get fired from the colony. Arthur, just like the island. Arthur, Javon, <laughs> and Jelly writes. Not the pirate one, by the way. There's no firing in that, obviously. Arthur writes, nice topic. You got me all fired up to send in some picks. Number three, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, 1990. Isn't the new one just TMNT? Ew, really? I think so. Did you see the Independence Day? Trailer? You were going to ask us, you you literally were about to ask us if we had seen a trailer. Well, I figured it was. answer halfway through asking. Well, isn't it too dumb to not watch it? Like, oh, we're, we're gonna have to see it. I mean, why would we watch the trailer? Wait, like, nothing is too dumb not to watch. Yeah. Uh, 
It's ugh. when April O'Neil's residence is burning down, Casey Jones overhears <laughs> O'Neil's boss firing her over her answering machine. Jones must later tell O'Neil she's been fired and does not do it in the most delicate manner. What is all of that? I like how he assumes we all know the scene so well. <laughs> I, mean, also, so like, I don't want to spoil how great it is. It, it does read like one of our uh, IMDb synopsis contests. <laughs> yeah. What is he even talking about? I don't know what that is. Me neither. You know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, oh, no, that was, that's still on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, okay, okay. I thought, okay. I thought April O'Neil sounded familiar. That's the chick's name. Yeah, that's their friend. Okay. It's their girlfriend. Megan, Megan Fox. Yeah, but at the 1990 version. Of right. Fox. Who would have probably been Lori Petty or something? No, that's Point Break, brah. Right, but wouldn't she have been the April, an April O'Neil back then? I don't know. No. <laughs> Maybe Leah Thompson. Ah, uh, that's Howard the Duck you're thinking of. Oh, uh, Howard always... the Duck's April O'Neil. She couldn't also be an April O'Neil to Turtles. That's true. She only does one animal. Right. Number two, Murder by Death, a movie I feel bad about making Dingus watch last year. Uh, when he discovers a meal's not been prepared for the guests, James Sir Bensonum, James Sir Bensonum, <laughs> <laughs> James Sir Bensonum, a blind butler, tries to fire a kitchen maid who cannot speak or hear. Bensonum has little success in this endeavor. There's some IMDb there. RoboCop, when Dick Jones is confronted by Murphy, he takes the chairman of Omni Consumer Products hostage, and Murphy is unable to act because of one of his directives prevents him from harming OCP employees. Fortunately, the chairman fires Jones in the midst of this turmoil, allowing Murphy to gun him down. No IMDb. Rob Favre. Number three, Ant-Man. <laughs> <laughs> That's a I great love saying fun. that. Yeah, Baskin Robbins always finds out. Baskin Robbins. Maybe I look for it at Captain America. Is Paul Rudd in Captain America? Is he part of the Civil War? Do you really want to know? No, I don't really want. To. I don't even want to know while I'm watching. Oh man, that's man. a great one. I didn't even think about that. That's so great. The manager at Baskin Robbins is the true hero of Ant Man. Sensing greatness as an employee, pushed Scott Lang out of a dead end job and gave him the motivation he needed to save the world. After all, Schley doesn't give away a mango fruit blast to every employee he finds. That one is great. Number two, Empire Strikes Back. Apology accepted, Captain Nita. For Darth Vader's strangulations, just a way to remove an underperforming employee from the job. He probably fires his admirals that way because there's less paperwork involved. Number one, Robocop. Dick, you're fired. I like to think that in the second between being fired and being blasted out the window by Robocop, Dick Jones was wondering whether his stock options had vested. <laughs> Thanks for the great podcast. I liked when the alien fired John Hurt in uh, Alien. <laughs> <laughs> I love that Ant-Man one. That's great. Yeah, it is. Nick D. Hey, guys. Jerry Maguire. I love the scene where Jay Moore fires Tom Cruise in a crowded restaurant. Cruise starts getting angry, so Jay Moore says, What about me? You know what I went through knowing I was going to have to fire my mentor, carrying that around my head for a week? Could you get past yourself for a second? Jesus. This leads directly to the scene where Tom Cruise tries and fails to get all his clients to leave with him. 
number two, margin call. The opening scene where it's the only two she gets fired sets the stage for the movie and is absolutely pitch perfect as a guy who, despite knowing how cold-hearted his business is, still can't believe how little respect 19 years of loyalty buys him. Number one, take shelter. Ooh. What? See, because I watched the scene. Ooh. The scene itself, the firing's important, but the scene itself is, is really just so, like, throwaway, and it's just a quick scene in the backyard. It's a great, oh. it's a great yeah. turn. Like, it's a great moment in the movie, and the firing itself is, of course, hugely significant. But the actual the least of act the... of the firing, it's just, like, so matter-of-fact. And Jim is so reluctant about, do you know how many rules you broke? I have no, you know, come in and get your last check on Friday. Like, he's he's just kind of like a poly, he's just like, like, he likes the guy, and he's his boss, but he's just like, you know, you did this terrible thing. And he even says, as he's walking away, you brought this on yourself. Yeah. It's just a really kind of sad, matter-of-fact scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Michael Shannon gets fired for borrowing a backhoe without permission to dig his bomb shelter. I love how the scene ups the stakes for his family in the moment afterwards where Jessica Chastain slaps him and leaves. Cheers in. Always slapping her. Oh. The other thing I like about that Jerry Maguire thing is that he sends out his manifesto. He has to go to Kinko's or wherever and print it, put it, puts it in all of their hotel, like you know, boxes. And then he calls the hotel desk in the morning. He's like, have they gone out yet? Uh, cause he wants to take them back. And I'm just imagining the way that would go today. You know, it's just like click send. <laughs> it would just be emailed to everybody. Wait, there's no email in Jerry Maguire. I'm sure there is, but I mean, it's just the way that it actually happens and that it takes a week then for the fallout to happen. I just think that Jerry Maguire, and I do love it. It was really great to watch it again. Um, but I think it just would happen at such a faster pace. So that's 20 years ago. Yeah. That's what, that's my rebuttal to what you said. All right. You win. Chris Markardson writes, hey guys, hoping to find an instance of someone getting fired for having sex with a cleaning lady on their desk at work, but I guess it only happens on TV. And again. <laughs> okay. Number three, I might be stretching the rules here with a firing that doesn't actually succeed. In Fight Club, the narrator threatens his boss as going to the transport department over the car company's negligence with regard to safety. His boss then tells him he's fired. At that point, things escalate. There's an awesome broken glass moment. I should have used last one. Oh, nice. Yeah. Wait, what? Uh, when he, throw, when he punches himself back on the table, like there's this great yeah. stunt. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, you know, but that's, yeah, like if I can do Bad Santa, then I think that Fight Club scene definitely applies to it's a firing scene that doesn't work donut shop <laughs> number two dick you're fired in the original robocop the titular hero is unable to apprehend employees thing sorry parkinson <laughs> number one baskin robbins always finds out i know this is probably chosen by someone else but i thought paul rudd getting fired from baskin robbins and ant-man was awesome thanks guys chris Dan Winningham writes, Hello, friends. D. Win here. Getting this to you at the last second. Hope it makes the time. Just one short and sweet broadcast news. The Swarmy Network president oh. has to fire some reporters. He lets go an older newsman. Pretending to cure the president says, Now, if there's anything I can do for you. And the, <laughs> and the third reporter <laughs> replies, Well, I certainly hope you'll die soon. I certainly hope you'll die soon. Yeah. <laughs> That's where it comes from. Thank you, D. Win. 
That's beautiful. That makes me wonder, does, does Pete, Peter Finch gets fired in network, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm surprised yeah. nobody brought up network. I mean, that's and assassinated. what happens, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And no I one brought up the I... movie that Dingus elliptically referenced. I was sure that was going to come up. What? Up in the air. Oh, yeah. The movie's Zach all about, like, and, yeah. yeah the, no. The, Zach Galifianakis is the, is the famous, like, little, like, he like has an, an imaginary, like, moment where he's a sniper, I think. But, uh, oh, right, but, right, because it's a whole, right, it's scenes of different people getting fired, yeah. Right, right. But I certainly hope you'll die soon. It's great. I'd rather be fired by a Galifianakis than a Clooney. Clooney one would just be just a twist of the knife. No, no, Clooney was so nice to him. I mean... No, I know, I'm just saying. Right. Which actor would you rather be fired by? Hmm. See? I would say a lot about a person, yeah. Who would you pick? Yeah, uh, who would you like to be fired by? Hmm. Uh, runners up? Is that all that we have from the... Yeah, that's all the listeners could, could give all right. us. So the runner-up that I have that goes along with Tom's, or that, that Tom's um, Thin Red Line one made me think of, is You're Out, Tom. This is the quote, You're Out, Tom. Um, and this is from The Godfather. And this is, uh, I mean, actually it might be Godfather Part 2, um, where, uh, where they determine that Tom Hagen is not a wartime consigliere. And basically, he's being fired from the job of being the wartime consigliere because he just can't handle the job. He's not Sicilian, most importantly, even though he's been brought up by the family, essentially. Um, but they're in, the, they're in the room planning this war that's going to happen between the families. Uh, and I guess it is in the first one. Um, and he says, you're out, Tom. And so Robert Duvall's Tom Hagen has to, in disgrace, I mean, for himself, I mean, they, they say it's, it's not you. It's just the way it is as to stand up and leave the room and basically be fired from being in this room. I mean, it's, it's slightly different. It's, it, but it is a demotion and it's not what he was hoping would happen, but it's not really a firing. But that's what Tom's, uh, uh, thin red line made me think of. But that's, that's every bit as much a firing as your Star Wars one. My thin red line one does not get. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I. Oh, I'm fine with yours. Oh, I just didn't know if if we could call it that. Uh, this one is a fight. So I, uh, I, I would have picked this one. So it's not a firing, but it is a firing. Um, at the end of Barton Fink, after the whole "I'll show you the life of the mind" scene mm-hmm. and all that, he goes into Michael Lerner's office, and Michael Lerner's in this like a uh, military outfit, saying. You know, we're fighting the Japs. I just signed up as a, as a colonel. This isn't my uniform. I just got wardrobe to set, to set it up. Uh, but there's this great scene where he's calling him in to tell him he hates his script. But he's not going to fire him. He's going to keep him on and, and force him to basically just write junk and just pay him a retainer and basically let Hollywood grind him down. I mean, that's that's the substance of Michael Lerner's speech. Um, so he doesn't fire him. And that's where he has these, a couple of great lines like – you're no writer. You're a write-off. <laughs> and uh, either the, uh, you don't put Wally Berry in a fruity movie about suffering, like when he's making fun of his script. But he points out, and this I, I, I totally would have missed this. So he doesn't fire him. It's not a firing scene. But he says during his little tirade that he fired Tony Shalhoub's character because Tony Shalhoub's character liked him so much, liked Barton Fink so much. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so there's a firing there, but it happened off camera. And it's Michael Lerner firing Tony Shalhoub off camera in, in Barton Fink. Huh. 
I was actually thinking about this that this week because I thought he had fired Barton Fink because of the line where he says, "I, I you know, I can get like a, a thousand writers to give me that Barton Fink feeling." That, that's part of that scene. Yeah, he's like, "You think you're the only one who can give me that Barton Fink feeling?" Yeah, absolutely. That's part oh. of that tirade. But he, and that the whole conclusion of that tirade is, "I'm not going to fire you. I'm going to pay you a, a retainer, and you you got to work out your contract for the next ten years. Now get out of my sight, but don't leave the state." Like that's his whole thing is. Oh, wow! Get away from me, but don't go anywhere. You just made me think all 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 of a sudden of the three amigos. What? Dang you How do you go from Barton Fink to three amigos? Yeah, like, Joe Montana fires them. Yeah, very good, Kelly. Yeah, that's it. There's there's a there's a scene where the where they ask I forget which one of them asks for a raise and uh, and the studio head and there's like a bunch of people you know in the scene. I Wait, three remember. amigos about the the guys in oh, Chevy chasing a sombrero. That movie? yeah 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 yeah. What? Uh, I think John oh. Lovitz might be in the scene. But the, but uh, but their last movie didn't make yeah. any money, and uh, and um, and so the three of them are asking for more money for their next movie, or we're gonna walk. And Joe Mantegna basically says, "Get off the lot." Uh, I don't remember exactly the lines. I just remember that I remember that's kind of the impetus for why they end up down in Mexico because they get fired. <laughs> oh, that okay. Because I was gonna say, I thought that was a movie about guys in Mexico like fighting Pancho Villa or something. Well, eventually that's what <laughs> happens because they get they uh, they think that they're being hired to do a show because they're being hired oh. by somebody who's infamous, which means... Since they're dumb... Yeah. Uh, but but I forgot that it, I, until you mentioned that Barton Fink thing again, uh, I forgot that they had been fired in the studio, and and I totally forgot that it was Joe Batania until Kelly said that. Yeah. Mm. Other I like the out? one who yeah. is not so smart. Which one? Remember? <laughs> That's what people say about us, I bet. What's a plethora? Uh, see, I hated that movie when I saw it, but I, you know. uh, my only runner-up is uh, Gandalf when he got fired by the Balrog. Uh, see, Dingus, <laughs> see, uh, the police abusing power like that. Can Look, you believe trying it? To, it's, I don't think there should be rules. <laughs> I just think they, they hold us back as a civilization. Uh, we just need to embrace the mystery. Total anarchy. It's like three by three, the purge. Look, it, life's about the journey, man. I purged. It's an election year, too, so it's a different kind of purge this year. Way different. I can't wait for the new purge movie in July. More Frank Grillo. <laughs> Actually, no, the last one did suck, didn't it? I keep forgetting that. Yeah. There's no, been one good Batman and one good Batman. We like it. Yeah, it has so an awesome dumb. car. Yeah, but there were so many dumb things in it. Like there were like two good things in it, and then ninety minutes of dumb things, weren't there? Yeah, and that dumb gunfight where they have the goggles. Oh my god! And yeah, it's not good. Like the laser tag gunfight, and the uh. yeah, and he's super smart. Maybe Boom. this one will be good though, right, Kelly Wand? Why? I, I mean, know. yeah, totally. It'll be totally. Oh, you know what Frank Grillo is in? Uh, never mind. Shut up. Good election, good movie. That's my rule. We'll find out. This one we'll see. This one we'll be seeing. This. Oh, you know what? They're not because it's like about the American elections. Kelly Wand. That's not going to play in Germany. They don't understand. That's going to make no sense over there. Oh uh, my struggle. Oh my. Oh, so inappropriate. I can't right. believe you did that. Wow, that is impressive. Too soon. <laughs> that is impressive. Uh, I don't care. Do you know? Do you know this the series? Dumb. Do you know the series Party Down? <laughs> There's a series. I've only oh, read man, the book. with Adam Scott. Dingus, having seen Parks and Rec, you, if you you've seen Party Down, haven't you? Of course, that's where yeah. I met Adam Scott. I mean, I love okay. that guy. And of course, oh, good. 
there's a great bit where the uh, the blonde actor I forget I saw him in a movie recently. I was like, who is that? And I looked him up, and he's the the blonde dumb uh, caterer guy. Gets up at I think like a bar mitzvah, and his band is playing a song, and his song is called My Struggle. <laughs> That's the lyrics of his song. <laughs> Very inappropriate. Well, and uh, what's uh, Jennifer Coolidge making? She takes mushrooms and then is laying the hors d'oeuvres out on a tray. Yeah. And she's like, oops, I made the swastika thing. Oh, my gosh. And, of course, that's where we meet Lizzie Kaplan. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Honey pot. But this is not a TV podcast, so that's enough of that. Sorry. Yeah, outrageous. I'm pulling you all over. For that <laughs> well, show. no, because now I'm taking charge, Kelly Wan. Next week's three by three. Ooh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> nice bit of a cover batch impression, Kelly Wand. Ooh. Uh, next week's three by three. Very straightforward. I'm just going to give you guys a phrase. Well, you know, tonight's movie or t- this week's movie inspired it. In this What's week's happening? movie, uh, I didn't like the main characters so much, but I loved the, the chick dwarves that come along. So what I want from you guys, and we're taking Huntsman Winner's War off the table – Side characters that are way, way better than the main characters. Oh my god, that's every movie. Really? Yeah. Come on, Lord Star of the Rings. Star Wars? Like, you think, for instance... Han Solo's better than Luke, and Sophia's better than... You're going to call Han Solo a side character. Chewbacca's better than... You're not yeah. going to define it for it's Kelly. Good luck. Han side. Solo is a side character. In Star Wars, the only one who came back, well, so is Vader because he works yeah. for Tarkin. So so I'm going to order. I'm going to order a, a a bowl of Luke with a side of Han. See what happens when you drag Star Wars into conversations. First of all, also James Bond. Felix Leiter is way better than James Bond. Uh, Felix Leiter, who is that? It's his American friend. They hang out. In what movie? All of them. Let's let die. He hangs out. James Bond has an American friend. I don't think. Yeah, so. Felix yeah, Leiter. He's a agent. He gets his legs bitten right? by sharks at his wedding or something. Oh, isn't Jeffrey Wright? Jeffrey Wright. Yeah. Somebody in one of the movies. Yeah. Huh. Maybe. Or John Cleese. And you think he's cooler than James Bond? Yeah, because he's American. We're way cooler. All right, Stupid we'll put that on your three by three and see if the cops let you get away with it. Americans dominated uh, Spectre. If you have uh, side characters that are way, way better than main characters that you want to tell us about, <laughs> send them in to 3x3 at quarter to 3.com. Next week, we will be seeing uh, the big oh. movie High Rise. Ooh! He uh, did a movie called – is it Kill List or Kill Switch? Kill List, A Field in England, Sightseers, and now High Rise. I think those are his four movies. Oh, I, oh and he's also done some uh, horror sh- shorts in at least one anthology, I believe. Did I miss anything, Kelly Wand? This edged out a Kevin Costner with a mohawk movie called Criminal. Quit saying that because you've already rescinded the fact him having a mohawk. You've said he doesn't have one. All right. All right. See High Rise. Send us your 3x3 three three of side characters way better than main characters. Join us for that next week. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Lewinsky. It's Christian Morosky. Oh, all right. I got one of the letters wrong. Uh, and we had Kelly Wand. I like the one who's not so smart. La, 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 la. The movie was so frozen. Yeah. La, la, la.
Or would Rudolph melt Frosty because his nose is like Cyclops' eyes? And, and um, he'd turn into the, that senator from X-Men who got turned into water. That was his mutant uh, super, quote, power. Right, Dingus? Are you the uh, hero of every story you tell? <laughs> I swore an oath to keep it secret. This lie has kept Apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years. We were afraid if the Queen's heart was destroyed, you'd lose your immortality or die. That wasn't your choice to make! Uh, I preferred the book version. Adorable. And it's D&D character. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> 